Welcome to the Composite Two-Star Recruits, the USC Recruiting Podcast, where normally there are a couple of one-star hosts here to talk about five, four, and three-star recruits and everything in between. But your one-star host, Chris Trevino, isn't here. I'm Shotgun Spratling. I'm no one-star guy. I'm at least a two-and-a-half star. You know, I'm at least getting my rating out there. Filling in here after I receive my temporary Cilantro Boys visitor pass, I'm joined by the legend, five-star senior USCfootball.com analyst Gerard Martinez. Now, when G-Mart and I get together, it usually leads to a whole lot of talking, but we're going to try to keep this under an eight-hour shift. So, Gerard, keep it as tight as possible, but thanks for having me on the show and let me join with you guys. Yes, thank you for hosting, and uh, I guess this is a temporary seven-and-a-half-star composite podcast. I don't know. You're going for a two-star, and see, what you don't know is that the two-star is the rarest of stars. You don't find many two-stars. There's three stars and four stars. They're all over the place, but a two-star? You try to find a two-star in the database. It's hard to find a two-star. Hey, long snappers and punters, baby. All about that two-star. But the Composite Two-Star Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. You guys can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. You can also email us any questions or concerns. So if you have a recruiting question for Trevino or Gerard, email it in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Make sure you put the composite or the Mexican recruiting guys or whatever, the cilantro boys in the subhead. And before we get into everything, I got to give out the sponsorship here. Mary the Slosh is the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. I'm just hoping I can get some sponsors over on my side as well. But Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service the wide range of clientele for rentals, sales, purchases, the top real estate agent in Los Angeles. We're just going to call it a top. I, I, maybe it's one of the top. We're saying it's the top one. She's topping our books. Uh, Meredith, you know, if you want to find out more about Meredith Slosher and her team, you can check out www.meredithslosher.com or Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. But that's it for the sponsorship. I got to get some money thrown my way. You guys got sponsors. Uh, you got Ryan with sponsors from Trader Joe's. Someone needs to come sponsor the Dato Download podcast. You know, trying to get it in there. Plug, plug, plug. Uh, but the we're going to start with the cold open. I know you know, Chris normally goes through a whole rant of different things things but we got some official visitors coming in we got a big you know quarterback all right he's finally made a commitment for the second time is this it with Dylan Rayola he commits somewhere else besides USC that I go back a week though Gerard we got a couple of commitments also for USC picking up Traquan Fagans and his little brother Anquan and then we'll take a break we'll come back we'll look at some of the offers that have been out there where USC's coaches have been all over the country uh you went to the under the radar camp we've got some young kids out there but we'll talk a little bit about that and then a, a thing that's close to both your and I hearts Video games. You got EA Sports and the NCAA football relaunch. We got to talk a little bit about that, and we'll answer some questions. But Gerard, we got to start with a big weekend coming up for USC. You know, it's not a golden hour. It's not uh, you know the Catholic Church. Uh, you know the Easter weekend, the special uh, Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call these different uh, <laughs> special events that they've had. Uh, but it is a big weekend because you know some out of state guys that. It seems like her traction visits kind of build some things up. But, you know, we've got five guys coming in, some big names, though. Uh, the Midlothian, Texas, five-star wide receiver Bryant Wesco, which I know you're really excited about just saying Midlothian a bunch of times. Uh, Phoenix three-star. <laughs> Come to Troy, Midlothian. Otherwise known as the Mandalorian behind the scenes here. Uh, you know, we're, we're hoping he commits to USC just to, so we can start calling him the Midlothian. Uh, but you also helmet, Midlothian. <laughs> they Show also have – 
Phoenix three-star running back Christian Clark. Buford, Georgia, five-star defensive tackle Edric Houston. Converse, Texas, and Judson, four-star safety Miles Davis. And Humble at Escocita, I think is how I say it, three-star cornerback Braylon Conley. Also an unofficial visitor from a DMV product, Obina Onwuku. Um, you know, so you've got, got some big-name guys from out of the area. What stands out to you about this weekend, and, and how important is this weekend for USC? Yeah, this week uh, this weekend kind of crept up on us a little bit. You know, USC didn't have any official visits for high school kids in May last year, but obviously the expansion of the high school official visit docket has hit, and they're spreading things out a little more this year. You know, we had the golden hour last year, and you had 24 kids on campus for one weekend, that June 16th through 19th weekend. And this year it looks like they're going to spread it out a little more. They're going to have more kids visiting uh, the first weekend of June. They're also going to have that 16th weekend, which will be big again, but they're also putting some kids back in that last week of June, the 23rd. So before June even hits, we get our first group of official visitors from the high school ranks. I guess, uh, you know, you kind of kind of talked a little bit about all these little monikers we have <laughs> different weekends. We could call this maybe the May and Pray uh, weekend here because there, <laughs> there's a couple guys that are coming in uh, that, uh, you know, USC is trying to get some traction with. And uh, we could stop, start at the top with Bryant Wesco. And Bryant Wesco just got a scholarship offer uh, a few weeks ago from USC. He was all OU and uh, his sister was actually going to Oklahoma and playing soccer. And she decided to transfer out just recently. So that shifted things now with his recruitment. And, um, you know, USC is still uh, one of many schools that uh, he's looking at. He's got Clemson for an official visit for June 2nd. He's going to LSU June 9th. And then he's got TCU on the 16th. So this is his first uh, real official visit. And USC is going to try to make a really good first impression Obviously, you know, that's sort of the neck of the woods for uh, for Lincoln Riley and the staff. You know, they love that DFW area with Texas and Fort Worth and uh, Midlothian, as we were kind of joking. It, it sort of reminds you of, uh, you know, like Mandalorian or something. It's a very uh, sort of uh, interesting uh, name for a little town there in Texas and uh, a wide receiver that is is unique in that he's a little lankier and and it's got a little more range maybe than an Xavier Jordan, who is the commit for USC out of Sierra Canyon. Um, But a guy that's not necessarily like a big time burner, he does have good track stats, but most of his track stats are not necessarily, you know, sprinting times. Uh, So, you know, he's got five star and we know 24 seven really likes him. Got him rated as what is he shotgun number two or number three in the nation. I think he's a number three rated nation. wide receiver in the nation for 24 seven right now. So that, you know, that speaks for itself that he is highly regarded. So he is kind of the first guy that jumps off the list as just getting a scholarship offer recently. A lot of people thinking, okay, he's going to Oklahoma kind of wrote him off and then boom, you know, that's how quickly recruiting can change these days. And he's going to be on campus for USC this weekend. So certainly I think, you know, he's the first guy to talk about and, and kind of look at the receiver board that the USC has right now going into those June visits, all the rest of the wide receivers that they're recruiting, at least recruiting seriously with scholarship offers are coming in on the same weekend of June. And that's going to be June 16th. That's that sort of holy hour uh, last year weekend. We don't know if it, again, this is going to be a weekend that they really go over and, and make it, you know, bigger than the other weekends. It doesn't kind of seem that way. It seems like 
all these weekends are going to have multiple official visitors on campus. So they probably are not going to just, you know, make it all about one big weekend. But nevertheless, it's going to be the wide receiver weekend because you've got Long Beach uh, Milliken uh, wide receiver Ryan Pelham, who's going to be in town. You've got Silsby, Texas, uh, four star wide receiver. Uh, Drillon Miller, who, who's going to be there, and then Lilburn uh, Parkview, uh, Georgia, uh, one of the big time uh, programs down in Georgia, which uh, you know Shotgun's from Georgia, so he's familiar with Parkview. Parkview's got a really good baseball team, don't they too? Yeah, they usually have a really good baseball team. Uh, you know, they've consistently put out a number of baseball players, but football has also been there. I um, mean, even some dual sport guys. I mean, Jeff Francoeur, if you remember him with the Atlanta Braves, he was a huge football prospect and baseball prospect. Yeah, so Mike Matthews uh, coming out of uh, Parkview, the Panthers, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. all going to be there June 16th. So that's that's going to be interesting to kind of see how that shakes out with all those guys there at the same time. You know, is it, you know, trying to bring like some camaraderie in that room and everybody's, you know, sort of there or some guys going to be looking over their shoulder like, hey, man, maybe this guy's going to commit. I kind of like USC. Maybe I need to commit first. You never know, you know, the strategy behind that. Uh, but nevertheless, I mean, I mean Xavier Jordan also, uh, who's already committed, is going to be officially visiting USC that weekend as well. So all the rest of the wide receivers that are on USC's board right now coming in that June 16th weekend, whereas you've got uh, Bryant Wesco sneaking in here for this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting kind of dynamic and how you kind of go about, uh, you know, planning out your official visits because there's only certain uh, so many weekends that you can do it. But you can obviously space out when it comes to uh, positions like that. Now, talking about the ranking, I looked it up and, uh, you know, Bryant Wesco is number nine in the nation, but he's number three at the position. First uh, at the top of the 24-7 rankings for wide receivers is Jeremiah Smith, the wide receiver from Upalaka, Florida, who's committed to Ohio State, a kid at USC has looked at in the past as well. Mike Matthews is fourth behind Bryant Wesco. And then you have Pelham at number 10. You have Draylon Miller at number 15. So, you know, all those guys are top 15 in the country, all top 100 guys. You know, I did a little quick analysis of just each of them. You know, I call it two minute snap judgments. Just what I saw checking out their highlight tapes. And this is, hey, what they want to be put in front of them. But the, the one or two things that kind of stood out of each wide receiver, and, and I don't know how you would kind of rank them personally, but I just thought it was interesting kind of looking at them. They're not all the same wide receiver. They're they're very different in the way they kind of go about things. You know, Wesco, I thought, caught the ball away from his body really well. He adjusted really well and jumped balls and kind of can turn around DBs with their routes. Xavier Jordan, you know, laying out to make catches. You don't see that very often in, in, uh, in highlights, uh, but he's unafraid to block. Multiple clips in his highlight video of him, you know, blocking at the line of scrimmage being physical um, not a ton of separation but he snatches the ball out of the air I thought that was kind of really interesting the way he kind of goes and attacks the ball uh, Pelham he doesn't necessarily look explosive and then he just runs away from defenders I thought he was kind of interesting just the, the long strider now he's a guy I've seen before you know before moving uh, I got to see him as a young kid Draylon Miller I thought this was interesting you know just and this is my two minutes of checking out their their highlight tape haven't done a ton of research on all these guys haven't seen them in person except for you know a couple of those you know SoCal guys two or three years ago but Draylon Miller he runs with his chest out. He really reminded me of Josh Amater Bebe. And, uh, you know, he can make defenders miss a little bit after the catch. He knows how to bend his routes. But I thought that was really interesting. That was just really popped off the screen. He's like, this guy really looks like Josh Amater Bebe to me. Uh, now, he's not quite as big, not as muscular, but he does have some muscles. He's 6'2 rather than 6'4. And then Mikey Matthews, just he runs by defenders with ease. You know, and there's also some clips in there on his highlight video of him as a safety. He's not afraid to come up and hit guys either. So that always stands out to me when you see those safety clips, because that makes me think Marquise Lee. That makes me think Juju Smith. 
Um, you know, those guys being two way guys in high school. And that it just seems to translate even better when you get to the, you know, the next level at, at USC, those guys have really excelled. Um, those are just kind of my quick judgments on, on those wide receivers. And just because, you know, I love wide receivers being a former wide receiver, you know, with a, with a five, two forty, I was destined to be someone who judges wide receivers rather than played the wide receiver at the next level. Um, so what kind of are your takeaways on that group of wide receivers? What stands out to you? The fact that, to me at least, they don't look like they're very much the same players. So they're kind of playing the board a little bit, unlike you know some of those other positions like the safety position that they struggled to get last year where it was all the same looking guy and they could never land that guy. What stands out for the wide receivers, dude? Yeah, they were they were just in pursuit of that blank, you know, fill in, <laughs> fill in the blank defensive back. It, it couldn't just get that guy. And, yeah, th- these are different receivers. Different, but, you know, physical profile – not terribly, extremely different either. And we kind of saw that with Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons at Oklahoma. You had some 6'2 guys and you have a 6'3 guy here and there, but a lot of six foot, six foot one guys as well. And so, you know, the tradition at USC, sort of an outlier when it comes to wide, wide receiver production is the big receiver. I mean, the legitimate, mm-hmm. gigantic big receiver, 6'5, 225 type receiver. And USC, if you look at the target list that we put up, you don't see a lot of offers out to those type of guys. Most of these receivers that USC is after is in that kind of six foot six one range. And so these guys sort of fall in within that 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 sort of uh, that pool of talent. Uh, but as Shockett says, different because you're looking at flankers and then you're looking at a guy uh, like Wesco. I, I think that's, you know, a good observation is how he extends and his mm-hmm. catch radius is really good. I think that that's more split end. Uh, sort of film from a guy. But I think with Lincoln Riley's offense, because they like to move those receivers around so much, that's why he doesn't want to necessarily get a guy. And and of course, if Drake London is is there, you know, you take Drake London. But I don't think they're necessarily searching out for that guy because he's probably going to be at a specific position and you kind of have to work around wherever you put him on the field. Whereas these guys are a little more mix and match. You know, you can put some of these guys inside. Xavier Jordan can play inside. He can play outside. You know, Bryant Wesco can play inside. He can play outside. You know, the same thing with uh, Ryan Pelham. I think with Pelham, he's definitely a bit more raw. He's a bit more of an athlete. I mean, a couple of years ago, we looked at him and he looked like he had more of a running back type body. He's just recently sort of, He's he's gotten taller, but he's also gotten a lot longer. Like he had he's gotten a bit taller, but his arm length and his shoulders have gotten a lot more broad. And I think he's increased his uh, his his catch radius a lot. Now, his uncle used to coach at Oregon for a very long time. He's got a lot of connections to Oregon. They're going to get the last official visit. That's a big deal. And so you kind of have to think about that in the back of your head if you're USC. Uh, Draylon Miller, you've got Miami, you've got Texas A&M. Um, some folks on the Peristyle brought up that Steve Wilfong said that LSU was a big player for him. I haven't heard about LSU so much recently. Um, it's been kind of more Texas A&M and USC. And I know that NIL is going to be a factor with him. And then Mike Matthews actually has a connection to USC through the Trillium Boys, uh, who are coached mm-hmm. by Chris Hawkins and Sua Cravens. And so, you know, Chris and, and Sua are, are very familiar with Mike Matthews. And so he's been out here before. And, you know, that's an interesting name. And what's funny is you picked up on him playing a little bit of safety. A lot of people would love USC to recruit him as a safety because 
athletically, he kind of pops a little more. Either There's a little bit of a suddenness there with, uh, you know, how he hits at, at the point of contact, how he plays. And that kind of pops off the film maybe a little more than receiver where he's a great athlete. Uh, but is he kind of is he a natural receiver? When you look at a guy like Xavier Jordan and Bryant Wesco, you see them catch the ball effortlessly you know it's it's second nature it almost looks like it's just part of the simulation man it just happens just goes together whereas some guys are real good athletes but they kind of have to fight that ball a little bit and they're i don't know it's just not natural in how they put their hands out there so you know as, as a guy that had cornrows and had a 5-2 which is kind of an oxymoron uh i don't know how, how do you how do you look at that uh with uh, mike matthews in, in terms of watching him and, and sort of his natural uh, ability to catch the ball as opposed to just being like a really good athlete you put out there and say hey man go go run i mean to me that it looks like he's a guy that is a multi-sport player which is what he is he's also a basketball player so i think if you get him in and you get him you know you put him on the amon ra st brown hey catch this many balls a day type of uh of routine then i think that becomes more natural um you, you know i you know, didn't play very long and I could see just the progression of my game, how quickly it kind of picked up. So I think that may be something, and I don't know his full background is, you know, when he started playing all that type stuff, but when you're a multi-sport guy, you just, you aren't locked into that one position, especially being a dual, uh, you know, a, a two-way guy, you know, if you get him and you put him, all right, we're going to focus all our attention on wide receiver. I think he takes off a little bit there potentially. I think that athleticism allows him to do a lot of things, but then you can refine those other skills there, which I I think would make him better. And the fact that he has that athleticism, you know, in Lincoln Riley's offense, you're not asking players all the time to make these really difficult catches and go up over guys. And I think that's the difference. I, I think it's been interesting. And I, I kind of wonder, I'm going to get us on a, you know, on a, take us on a diatribe here, but what, do you think that Lincoln Riley would have been recruiting Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy and Drake London, you know, those type guys, even though they were in the backyard, would those have been, those have been the priority guys when we've seen that he doesn't throw that jump ball very often in his offense because he real, he thinks he can scheme it to open a wide receiver and get somebody wide open rather than like, all right, I got to take my chances with a 50-50 ball. Um, or a 70-30 ball if you're throwing it to Drake London. But, you know, rather than that, I'll throw one where I got the guy wide open just because of the scheme. I think I can scheme something open. And sometimes you need to, like, all right, let's just go with it, make our best players our best players and go make a play. But do you think they would have been going after those type of guys, even though they were in the backyard, you know, five-star guys, but they're just not the type of receivers that Lincoln Riley has really, um, you know, has been the, the the apple of the eye in that Lincoln Riley offense in the past? They would have gone after the local guys. The question would have been how hard would they have gone after them? Would there have been a schism there and they wouldn't have landed them because they had their eyes on other guys as well that maybe fit the system a little more? And you, you make that point, the difference between what Lincoln Riley does, you know, using the field laterally a lot more than a pro mm-hmm. style offense, which, you know, almost derived from the pro game where everybody's talented and sometimes your guy just got to beat the other guy. And so when it comes to now Patrick Turner, when it comes to, uh, you know, Dwayne Jarrett, uh, those type of players, maybe not, you know, maybe not going all the way out of state across the country to try to land those type of players. USC may have been more reluctant, but with the local guys, I think there would have been that pressure. Hey, he's a really talented player. You know, with Brew McCoy, maybe there's more emphasis on trying to play him on defense than offense. Mm. There's there's probably some little 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 schisms there. But I would say this: the one thing that has to come from this weekend is if, and this is a big if, and I'm speaking to you 
collectives. Okay, we're talking about a House of Victory. Okay, we're talking about um, the the Conquest Collective. We're talking about uh, the 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 Tommy Group. Okay, if Bryant West go commits. Okay, silently, you guys get your production together and you get the Midlothian and you and you have and it's got to be just almost like set up like George Lucas, you know, and, and and you and you have him with his helmet and he's got the visor and and you and you go through and Midlothian stranger from Midlothian tell us your decision and then he, he kicks the helmet <laughs> off and then he commits to USC with a sword that would be great but maybe maybe a sword or maybe could you do lightsaber maybe because you know like a George Lucas thing or something that that would be great that would be great that would be awesome well if that was all going to happen you better hope that Bryant Wesco is a Star Wars fan or whatnot and you can help sell him on that and, uh, you know the Lucas uh, Museum that's going to be I think finally done by the time he would get there um, so uh, we'll see how that all plays out I just wrote the script baby I just wrote the script I just say hey, right there there it is right there NIL deal <laughs> the branding Star Wars Midlothian Bryant Wesco you're welcome you're welcome millions mil- you're a millionaire now you're a millionaire now all right, with with Bryant Wesco, he does have some other visits. Uh, you know, he's coming to USC this uh, weekend. He's going to Clemson, uh, LSU, and TCU on back to back to back weekends. At least that's what he's got scheduled right now in June. So you know, it's going to be a long way until this this recruitment is done. We'll see where that goes. Obviously, five star wide receivers. USC has a pretty good history of those. So they've got a couple of those guys that are going to be coming in for visits. We'll see what happens there. Let's move on to a couple of the other visitors. Who kind of stands out to you? Uh, you know, with this Christian Clark is. Is, is in the recruiting area, I guess, as a Phoenix running back versus, you know, the other guys on this list are also Texas and Georgia. Do you start considering first, do you start considering Texas as part of the local area because all the ties the coaching staff has there, or does that still feel like that's, you know, going out of your area and recruiting when you go into Texas for some of these kids, because there's so many schools that are already recruiting there too. Yeah. You're going out of your area. It doesn't matter if, if, if Lincoln Riley is from Mule Shul or not, uh, it's not in California. And a lot of those kids live in places that look nothing like Los Angeles. So it's uh, it's not just about, you know, not being your area because you are leaving so far away from USC. But you got to remember where those kids are coming from and the culture and just the way of life there. And they're coming from some of these rural places. Silsby, Texas, is a, is a pretty small Texas town just north of, I think, Beaumont. So it's on the border there with Louisiana. So Draylon Miller, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of near Houston, but it's definitely not L.A. And that's something that he's got to kind of acclimate to. He's already been to USC before and he does have Miami in there. So he's looking at some, you know, big city schools. And so maybe he wants something different. You know, he wants to get out of the small town. You you never know. But Mm -hmm. yeah, looking ahead at some of these other names here, you know, Christian Clark, the three-star running back from Phoenix, uh, Buford, Georgia, five-star defensive tackle, Edric Houston, uh, Converse, Texas, Judson, which is down there in that Houston area as well, if I recall, actually, I think it might even be more closer to San Antonio. Uh, He's four-star safety, Miles Davis, uh, is going to be visiting in Humble, Texas, uh, Atascosita, Atascosita. Uh, there we go. It's it's not it's not uh, <laughs> not that hard. Atascosita, uh, three-star cornerback Braylon Connolly will also be visiting. And as you said, uh, I think you know it's uh, there's some guys here that USC is trying to kind of get you know get going with a little bit. And I think the guy that jumps off the list is Edric Houston. Um, you know, defensive tackles from the South, Buford, Buford produces a ton of talent every year and USC offers every one of those kids every year. <laughs> None of those kids usually even visit USC. So this is a step in the right direction where you're actually getting uh, one of those official visitors on campus from Buford. 
but you know, a, a, a big time defensive tackle. He's got a ton of offers from other schools. Um, this, to my knowledge, is going to be his first visit out to USC. Uh, he's also going to visit Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama. A lot of people kind of think low key Alabama is the favorite here, but then you have to also consider, you know, Georgia's going to probably uh, be hard to beat as well. USC is very much the dark horse here. You know, uh, Edric uh, Houston could be, you know, maybe the Edric Hill of this recruiting cycle where, you know, it's just one of those kids that you get on campus, you try to, you know, work a little bit, get a little traction with them. Somebody made a very good uh, a point observation on the peristyle where they mentioned, you know, maybe this is, uh, you know, just an acclimation visit uh, for later down the line. Clacy transfers, which is something that you do have to consider now. Uh, if you're USC, when you're playing the transfer market as aggressively as they are, and, and it seems like they're a little more comfortable playing the NIL game in the transfer market, you do have to make, you know, these acquaintances and you do have to have these relationships because when those kids do decide to transfer, uh, they're not going to be on the market very long. You know, they're not in the portal very long before they already sort of know what's where they want to go and where they want to visit. And things happen really fast. Look what happened with Barry Alexander. So um, it could be, you know, one of those situations. We'll, we'll see how it goes, you know, not to be uh, too pessimistic. I know folks don't like that, but it's not necessarily a guy that you're, you're penciling in for uh, USC's 2024 class. So he definitely uh, jumps out uh, as a player that's uh, it's interesting. I think you know, like you watching film on some of these guys, uh, you know, Miles Davis is not a name that's been mentioned very much with USC in the past. Uh, we do know a little bit about Braylon Connolly because Braylon Connolly took an unofficial visit to USC uh, for spring ball. And he was, you know, pretty pumped up about USC. I think he's an interesting cornerback. Uh, you know, his film looks really good. He He's tall. He makes good plays on the ball. Um, he plays really well uh, off his breaks. He seems to have really good eyes and he, and he makes Good, clean tackles, very good form tackles in the open field. There's other guys that you see and you watch film and they just don't look like they play with that kind of suddenness. So he's a guy that, you know, ranked as a three star and, and not really, you know, a big name necessarily. Um, definitely, I, I think, a, a, an interesting prospect that uh, USC, you know, has to has to kind of look at and think, you know, this this is this might be a guy that we need to, to push on early and, and kind of what they're doing with this early official visit. Yeah, and look at these. You know, I looked up some of the locations real quick. Um, Atascacita is um, outside of Houston, not too far. You know, basically in a suburb. Um, yeah. Whereas Judson is 15 minutes outside or 15 miles outside of San Antonio, yeah, and yeah. then Midlothian is outside of Dallas. So all these are kind of just outside of the main cities there. So it's not like they're off in West Texas and Lubbock or anything where you know there's just nothing around um, anywhere where you know the the Graham Harrells and the the Lincoln Rileys of the world are from. So you know these are guys that have been in the city before so it's not going to be completely different Buford is is right is a suburb of Atlanta as well you know I know Buford well my cousins actually went to school there the high school at Buford right now has better facilities than USC does I'm pretty content in saying that is a true statement at least for football Um, they are on a completely different level it looks like a college um, you know a college campus when you go up to to there it's it's on a completely it's like you know how everyone talks about Texas football stadiums and stuff. That's the entire campus at Buford. It's just it just seems like you're on a you know at a different level than you are a high school. And they produce talent in, year in and year out. They don't necessarily always produce a lot of high end talent though. You know they they are very well coached, but usually it's four stars at max. So Edric Houston, 
Jackson being a five-star guy, a little bit undersized as a defensive lineman, but a quick burst. You know, he can chase plays down and stuff like that. So it will be interesting to see if any if USC can get any tracks in there. Obviously, like you said, Georgia is always going to be looming right there. It's about 45 minutes away, Buford is from Georgia, so it's not too far down the road. And the, their track record of defensive linemen under Kirby Smart is going to be there. But again, this, like you said, could be a uh, we'll just keep it keep a, that name in there in case he goes to to Georgia for a year or wherever he goes, and he's not on the playing, not get on the field. You know, they go to the national championship, makes a couple plays, but he's still going to be a backup. Hey, does that sound like a familiar track? Barry Alexander um, and USC was able to poach him from from the transfer portal. So you never know how that be. And also, if you can just get your foot in the door, and you know, maybe he doesn't end up wanting to go to to Georgia, but the or to excuse me to USC, but the fact that he has a great time on a visit. Now he talks to, you know, King Joseph, uh, you know, the tight end from Buford and some of the other players that Buford has. And maybe that gains you a little bit more traction, maybe gains you some traction with the next uh, group of recruits from Buford because they are a powerhouse that always has guys. So, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting guy that they're able to get on campus. And like you said, they haven't been able to get those Buford guys to come out. So it's interesting that getting a five star guy to come out is pretty, pretty notable there. And that one obviously stands out to me. Yeah, I mean, the follow-up there with King Joseph Edwards, I mean, he's been scheduled to come on another official visit to USC. I don't know how many times. I've lost count. I've been talking <laughs> to him over the spring, and then, like, you know, every month, basically, I'm checking in. And he's like, yeah, he's got a new date for when he's coming out, and then that trip gets canceled. So he was actually supposed to be out here for the Under Armour camp. He was on the official roster, and Brandon Huffman actually talked to his mom about it. And then I talked to him, like, two days before the camp about coming out to USC for something else. And didn't even know uh, he was going to be on the UA roster. And he's like, no, 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 you know, I have to cancel the trip. And I didn't know anything about it. And then I mentioned uh, just in passing, I think, to to Huff. And he's like, oh, he was supposed to be out for the the Under Armour camp. What? He told you he's not coming out? And I was like, yeah, he was supposed to be out (laughs) for the Under Armour camp. I didn't know that. So, yeah, um, at this point, still doesn't have an official visit set for USC. I don't know if it's going to happen. But uh, they they do get Edric Houston at least, um, you know, on campus and and at a position where, you know, they need those guys. They need uh, difference makers at defensive tackle for sure. Um, Another interesting thing, just looking at the list is is certainly bringing in Christian Clark at this point, I think is interesting because you do have a few other running backs that are there on the board and the running back board right now kind of looks like Longview, Texas, four-star Taylor Tatum. Now Longview that is out there in uh, East Texas, uh, so it's, um, you know, out there in the pine woods of Texas. Um, you've got uh, Seattle, Washington, Jason Brown, uh, four star up there and uh, a guy that, uh, you know, wants to look at the cinema school and is very interested in, in, in that side of things academically. But not a kid that really ever gave me the vibe like he's really high on USC. Um, now, I haven't spoken to him. And probably like a month. I think Chris was the last to speak to him. So I don't know his last unofficial visit he made to USC, which was actually his second for spring. Um, you know, maybe he's getting a little more of a vibe, maybe a little more comfort with the coaching staff. Uh, but he's he's interesting, very kind of diminutive running back, but not necessarily small. He's one of those guys that's real thick. He's, you know, about 200, 205 pounds, but he's only about five nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Tyler, Texas, Derek McFall, uh, who just kind of popped on the radar lately where USC came by and he says he's in the midst of trying to set up an official visit. It looked like he would come in 
uh, for that visit June 16th. And then Decatur, Texas, Nate Palmer is another Texas running back that USC has been in communication with for a while and is a guy that, you know, at this point looks like if he's going to visit, going to visit later in June. So these are all sort of June type official visits, you know, Taylor Tatum, uh, I think is for that first week in June, uh, Jason Brown, if he comes in, uh, the last we heard would probably be maybe the last week of June. Um, and Derek McFall is talking about June 16th and that might be when they try to bring Palmer in as well. So you bring in, uh, Christian Clark earlier and you kind of get a read on him. Now you've already got a running back commit in Brian Jackson, uh, who we easily forget about sometimes that he's out there in McKinney, Texas and uh, quietly committed to six foot, 240 pound running back the thunder. They're bringing the thunder back to USC Lindell white. You got to love it. Uh, they're looking for kind of the guy to compliment him, you know, and to play away from him. And so uh, out of that group, you know, Tatum is the combo back. He's, he's got a little size to him. He's not small. Uh, Christian Clark is definitely kind of an all-purpose back. He, he really does a lot of things well. I don't know if he does anything great. Uh, and Jason Brown is – Jason Brown, even though, like I said, diminutive, he's like 5'9". I mean, I'm, I'm not many times that I'm interviewing somebody and looking them eye-to-eye in cleats, uh, but he's not he's not a, a, a scat back. You know, he's physical. He's, he's a guy that runs out of basically a pro-style single-back offense. It's like a little old school up there in O'Day. And so – uh, you know, he's kind of more of a physical back. Now, Derek McFall, a little more all-purpose scat back. You know, he's got some decent track times behind him. And Nate Palmer, I would say the same. You know, they're they're a little more of a, a compliment to what you bring in with Brian Jackson. But I don't know that's necessarily what USC's looking for, you know, and compliments. They, I, I, Gavin Morris, uh, you know, one of the staff members that's been up at USC, he's a friend of the website, used to post on the Peristyle all the time, uh, was uh, the director of, of player development at one time. He's you know, had a bunch of different titles. I think he's still a, an assistant AD uh, up at USC. But, you know, he was putting on uh, Instagram about thunder and lightning, thunder and lightning with Marion Peterson and Quentin Joyner. And I'm thinking to myself, that, that's not thunder and lightning. That's just thunder <laughs> and just like louder thunder. That's not, those two big, those two guys are power running backs. Those guys, they, there's not, I mean, there's some shiftiness there with Quentin Joyner and he's a little smaller, but that kid, I've said it before and I'll say it again. He's built like a pineapple grenade. That dude is not a small running back. Yeah, you got you got thunder, you got the aftershock, and you got a little bit more a pop coming behind it. Um, it's interesting with those running backs, and you mentioned Brian Jackson, you mentioned the two guys, all Texas guys, the, you know, the two commits they already had. Now, Relique Brown is not necessarily a running back. You know, he was you know he was the first commit for Lincoln Riley at USC and being from modern day. But every every other running back and Kyle McDonald, you know, his his background is recruiting running backs out of Texas. So that makes Jason Brown kind of the outlier here of that group. Um, And then the other thing I would note from that that group was that Taylor Tatum sounds very much like an NCAA football generated name. Uh, just seems like if I'm recruiting and it's 2028 20, or whatever in the the uh, dynasty mode, um, and Taylor Tatum's going to pop up on my screen as a running back out of Texas. I just feels like that would be the case. But let's move oh, on, Gerard. Let's move on. Let's move on to you know we talked about some of the the guys are coming in this week. We got to go back a little bit though. Let's go back to last weekend. Now we didn't do a, a podcast last week. Chris was gone. Chris is still gone. Chris is, you know, I don't know, you know, taking a sabbatical basically right hiatus. now. It's a D, DMV sabbatical. Um, but w- let's take it back to, you know, the big weekend at USC. Now you had. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let, let me. I, I have to interrupt and I have to interject because okay. it's a great segue. You, 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 there's a great segue here. Chris is back east. He's back home in Maryland. 
and he actually went to go see Upper Marlboro three-star edge rusher Obina on Oh God, I screwed up the last name. On Wuka. On Wuka. I don't know why I read that and I suddenly get dyslexia. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Obina on Wuka. Uh, he actually went to go visit him. So Chris is not totally on sabbatical, folks. He's not on vacation. <laughs> He's actually working a little bit. And he actually went to go out and see him. And he posted you know, on the Peristyle that uh, Obina is coming out for an unofficial visit this weekend. Now, it was a little confusing because – you know, he was supposed to come out for an unofficial visit for the uh, Ballers Bash weekend on April 8th, and that fell through, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that didn't happen, and, and so Chris was talking to him a little bit, and we were kind of uncertain because he was talking about coming out again, and it was like, well, is this going to be an official visit or is this going to be an unofficial visit? He says he wants to come back again for the official visit during the summer, so this one is supposed to, as we know now, and Chris was going to follow up with him, uh, going to be an unofficial visit. So this is basically the traction visit. And then if they're able to get him on campus for the summer, that might be the sort of close the deal official visit. So that's a that's a name to keep an eye on. Uh, Chris went out to go see him and, you know, he said, hey, this, this dude looks real. Like he, he looks like the real deal. Very uh, physically impressive. And, uh, you know, USC is working him pretty hard and a lot of other schools are, too. So another one of those guys like three star, a little off the radar, maybe because he's back East DMV type kid and not like a local name. But uh, Obina Onwuka, uh, I, I hopefully said that right. I know we got some folks in the purse style that are going to hit me with it. I'm usually good at pronunciations. I just don't know why that one. I want to say Onwuku. And and I think and, and I don't know why I don't know it must be something from like uh, the the Wale Bentiku days or something. There's a ni- another Nigerian name that I keep thinking of that every time I look at it I, I screw up. But anyways, that's a, a little a little tidbit there. Uh, also this weekend, um, a, a potential kind of big unofficial visit. Yeah, and, and Obino Wuka, I actually probably would have seen this weekend um, at the Under Armour event in Baltimore. I got to go last year. I was going to go this year, but they had it on Sunday, on Mother's Day. So mom's come first. So unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to get out there to see some of the kids, you know, that, that you know, especially since USC has been recruiting the DMV area a little bit more recently. But now let's take it back. Go back a week. USC had a huge weekend a week ago, week about 10 days ago. Obviously, you get Bronny James's commitment. You win the third straight uh, beach volleyball back to back to back. You know they advance to a couple, a couple of the other teams advance Sweet 16. The lacrosse team won a Pac-12 tournament. But also, there's some football news. USC picks up a commitment from Alabama cornerback transfer, or at least defensive back transfer, Traquan Fagans. A couple hours later, USC picks up another commitment. How about a five-star safety? Anquan Fagans, his younger brother, also commits. So he came out on the uh, official visit, uh, his transfer official visit. The family came out with him. Anquan came out, and apparently they fell in love with it. What stands out to you about USC picking up Traquan Fagans? Where does he kind of stand with the roster they have currently? And then we'll move into Anquan in just a minute about where he kind of fills in going forward. That's a great question because I'm not 100% sure. A lot of people – kind of want to pencil him in across from Sierra White, and he's going to be the boundary corner. You know, I watched a lot of film from him and didn't get to see a lot of film from him at Alabama, obviously. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a year gap there. But watching him in high school and watching his uh, film from playing uh, high school football 11 on 
and also off season where he's, you know, t-shirt all Americans. He He's a big kid, uh, plays well with his hands. I feel like he might be a bit more of that kind of safety nickel that USC has been looking for when they were trying to recruit Warren Roberson, when they were trying to recruit Tyler Scott, when they were trying to recruit all those players. Now, you know, that's my opinion and it doesn't actually align with uh, Andrew er- uh, Ivins, who covers the Southeast for 24-7 sports, who saw um, uh, Traquan play in person uh, quite a few times. And, and you know, I, my first question is, is he a real corner? Is he? Because when I watch film, I don't necessarily see the top end speed there. I feel like he's more physical and big. And that is his those are his strengths as a cornerback or as a defensive back, I should say, more so than the things that you see from his transition, his his hip fluidity, uh, his ball awareness, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I kind of look at him and I go, I want to put him at that nickel position. I kind of like his physicality and I want to play him uh, there. And then I want to give maybe, uh, you know, uh like like Covington or maybe Damani Jackson. See, a lot of people are like, okay, that's going to shift Damani Jackson over to safety, right? Because you know Damani's is a big kid and what have you. But I, I know Damani runs a four two. <laughs> I know Damani's got legitimate speed. Now I, I see the arguments where maybe people feel like he's a little stiff, and you know there there's certain aspects of agility and things that maybe they don't see from him. But I know he's got the top end speed, and I know I don't have to put cover two over the top. I can allow him to play man and run down the field with whoever. Um, I don't know if that's Traquan Fegan's strength. I, I feel like he is a guy that plays good with zone and, and the ball in front of him. And talking to the folks at Alabama, a few sources that had watched him in practice, they all kind of said, yeah, we kind of felt like he was more of a safety. So I, I think he comes to USC feeling like he can compete at a cornerback spot, but when I watch him, I'd be lying if I said, yeah, he's boundary corner, uh, good to go, don't worry about it, he's got that side locked down. I feel like there's going to be a competition there, and I wouldn't write off Damani Jackson uh, still winning that spot uh, on that side. Or, or, like I said, I mean, I think uh, Jacoby Covington is, is a guy that's going to be a big-time player. And, and Christian Roland Wallace, who we didn't get to really see in the spring mm-hmm. game, is another physical uh, type of cornerback uh, that is a boundary guy that actually has – quite a bit of experience playing that position. So yeah, I don't know if, if um, it, it's a big deal and it's a great get for USC. I mean, you want to bring in some talented players and what have you, but I don't know if it's the immediate splash that people kind of assume it is. Yeah. It, he didn't play at all at Alabama last year, did not participate in any games, um, at least on the defensive side. I when watching his highlights, you know, his senior season highlights from, you know, in, in Alabaster, Alabama is, there's barely anything on defense because uh, probably because no one wanted to throw at him. So you go back and you start looking at his junior, his sophomore. And I think you see a a lot of the things that you talked about, like the hips don't open up, you know, really clean, but that's also three years ago now. So, you know, it's hard to make a, you know, a true justification on that. How much did that change while he was at Alabama? How much did they clean up some of those type things? Um, It just, there's not a ton of tape on him to be able to tell that. I would love to watch some Alabama practice tape. If Nick Saban just send us some over, we'd be good to go. Right. Uh, But I I think actually you mentioned uh, and it's an interesting conversation as far as the current team is in the current roster. I think Jacoby Covington is the guy that's the probably locked down a spot at this point. And everyone else is fighting for that other spot, you know, kind of how Makai Blackman last year, you know, kind of locked down that in fall camp and said, all right, whoever wants to battle for the other spot, that's on them. 
But I feel like Jacoby Covington is a guy that's really taken a step forward, both at the end of last season, kind of taking over that spot, moving in front of Sierra Wright, and then this spring having a you know a solid spring from the little bit we got to see, you know, big spring game, obviously, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But it seems like he's really taken a step forward. And, you know, it can Sierra Wright or Damani Jackson or Christian Wallace, like who's going to battle out? And I think that gives you four guys that you potentially rotate a little bit more at that cornerback spot. You know, that's not necessarily a spot where you have to rotate it a ton during the season but did you have the option to and you know usc has done that in the past they've done that with some of their younger guys you know damani jackson and um you know got a couple of reps here and there you would see that with a dory with uh, iman marshall those five-star guys when they first come in but i feel like you you had the opportunity where you can move guys around and hey if somebody's not having a good day if somebody's a step slow somebody's sick whatever you can just you go to someone else and, you know, someone gets burnt deep. You're like, all right, you're done for now. And we'll go to someone else because they have built that quality depth, which has been an issue for USC in the past. So I think he just adds to that, you know, he adds more depth for them. And, you know, whether that can be at nickel, whether that can be on the outside or potentially safety. um, I think that nickel back position, I think is probably the most uh, quietly, the most intriguing position battle on the entire for the entire team in the fall camp it's like who are you going to put there what body type do they want to put there and who do they want to put there will will it be the max williams will it be latrell mccutcheon will it be someone like fagans or maybe even one of those bigger safeties that you know that they could use it's kind of that linebacker safety like uh, anthony beavers you know how do they want to use that position this season will be really interesting and maybe that's even a position where you get a couple different body types and just depending on matchup that's who ends up playing in the spot so uh, i think it's gonna be really interesting but the depth that they've added and he's another fagans is another piece to that you know we talked about it in, in another podcast that's been the biggest difference for me with this defense and the potential of this team making a run this season is that now there's quality depth so if someone gets injured or someone gets hurt or you know or is having a bad day or had a bad week or whatever it may be you can go to someone else that wasn't the case last year. You had Shane Lee, you had Raylan Goforth playing with broken hands for half the season, if not more, because you had to get him back out there because Eric Gentry got hurt. Um, you know, you just didn't have the depth at that linebacker position. They really addressed the defense line, addressed linebacker, but I think the, the defensive back room, you know, you're always, and with Dante Williams being back there, you're always going to be adding depth, and Traquan Fagans is just another piece of that. It'd be interesting, you know, to, to ask Dante when we get to see him in fall camp, you know, where does this, from a talent pool standpoint, uh, defensive backfield sort of sit with you with, with some of the other teams that you had? You know, you had some good teams at Oregon with a lot of talent, but you look at this group and it's it's a it's a maturing group. You know, it was a group that was originally very young, and now it's kind of getting older, but it's it's physically maturing as well. And and when you add uh, Fegans to this roster, it's a lot of six foot plus 200 pound cornerbacks, you know, up and down the roster. You were talking about Covington and Roland Wallace. And I mean, you guys got like, uh, you know, Malachi Crawford there, who's, you know, legitimate 6'3", 6'4", 190 pounds. You know, Sarah Wright's a good six foot, six one. Uh, you know, Fabian Ross is kind of one of the smaller guys. And Fabian Ross is one of the more physical players. I mean, he was a guy that a lot of people said, hey, you know what? He's almost like a linebacker when you put him in the box as a safety. So this is a, a physical group and it's a group that, you know, from a base standpoint, USC's using five defensive backs. You know, they, they, that's sort of what they do. But what you bring up, and I've talked about this in the past with Chris, that is an interesting wrinkle, is that nickel position. And do you 
change who you play there depending on the matchup. And the guy that I've always brought up in this conversation is Eric Gentry, because now you've got uh, you've got the addition at least of, of of Mason Cobb. You know, he he looks like he's going to try to compete for that will spot. Uh, you've got Shane Lee there. Um, you're trying to bring in Tackett Curtis and, and see if he can make that move to be the starting Mike linebacker. But you've got, like you said, depth there. You know, Chris Thompson's a guy people kind of sleep on. He's a former safety that's just grown and gotten bigger, and it has some decent size with him. I, I'm kind of interested to see if he can stay healthy, what he does at linebacker. Um, can you kind of take the unicorn and put him out there and just, you know, let him work around in that curl and let him kind of freelance a little bit and, and not put him, you know, in between the tackles and sort of make him a little more of a target uh, against teams that are a little more run oriented, like a Utah, like a UCLA, like an Oregon. You know, some of these teams that, you know, where you have to put guys like Max Williams out there and Max, I love as a football player. But when you match him up against the six, five tight end, you kind of know what's going to happen in the end zone, right? It's, it's, it's not, you know, rocket science. And so if you've got a guy like Eric Gentry there, you know, you bump him out. And if you're playing against the really pass happy offense, then you've got those guys that you can put at nickel um, that we've talked about, whether it be Fegans or, or you're, you're pushing in Roland Wallace or, you know, one of those guys is going to end up inside. And so um, it's, it's, it is, it is exciting. I mean, if you're a Trojan fan, you've got physicality, uh, on at least the back seven, you know, the, the front seven, we still kind of have to see how that goes. They've they've obviously improved quite a bit with Anthony Lucas and Bear Alexander. We have to see if those guys play up to their potential out of high school because, you know, there's still some unknowns with them. Uh, but certainly with the back seven, with that with that defensive secondary, I mean, and, and in this day and age, because you're usually having to put a sub package, some type of nickel package in those guys got to tackle, you know, they got to make plays near the line of scrimmage. And I think that's what you see with the uh, Trey Con, uh, Trey Quan uh, um, guys like Damani Jackson, uh, Covington, you know, he, he's shown that and, and Roland Wallace is another guy that will come up and he will form tackle you if you're trying to run a bunch of screen routes. So yeah, that from that standpoint, I think you, you definitely, you're getting more maturity and it's not just in terms of the experience that's on the field. And we didn't even talk about, you know, Latrell McCutcheon is another guy. Um, you're getting actual physicality from the standpoint of guys are, you know, bigger now, they're stronger now. It's a, it's kind of a different looking secondary. Yeah, and, and one guy we didn't even mention, uh, Zamarion Gordon, who I'm still really high on. I thought he was pretty raw coming out of high school, but I just think he has the potential to be a, a third-year jump guy. You know, after three years, you make a big jump, uh, and everybody's kind of like, where did this guy come from? I just felt like he had all those attributes that could potentially do that. So we'll see if he is a guy that later in his career actually makes a, a big jump like that. And Anthony Beavers, I think he's, a, again, like a Chris Thompson, can be a guy that you use – as a linebacker that is playing nickelback, you know, just because he has that big body and he was a guy that they used last year. He and Zamari and Gordon both, you know, when they get in the red zone, those guys were coming in. Sierra Wright was coming out. Uh, Max Williams was coming out. Those guys were coming in for, you know, the bigger, heavier sets. So we'll see if there's different packages and stuff. It should be really interesting. Like I said, you just have more options now. And you mentioned, hey, we'll see if Anthony Lucas, if Bear Alexander live up their potential, um, and you know, can be a five, can be five star difference makers. Yeah, we'll see that. But the fact that now that you, your Stanley Taufus, your Tyrone Talenis don't have to be 
you know, difference makers. They can be quality pieces for you. And I think that's where they're best fit for, for a team to be at their, you know, uh, to reach their potential uh, rather than asking guys, you know, a Stanley Taufu, you know, like you've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, smaller guys that have bulked up throughout their career. You know, Stanley was a linebacker in high school, you know, asking those guys to come in and be your nose guard. Like, that's not a recipe for success. So, but if those guys are coming in and they're backups, or you're coming in and asking them, hey, just attack and be, you know, be quicker guys. I think that is going to be much more uh, sufficient for the defense to make more plays and just have more options. Okay, this isn't working this game. Well, you can't. Last year it felt like at times it was like we don't have anybody else that we are confident putting in. Um, so we just got to roll with it. You know, similar to what Dalton Kincaid is going off. And now you mentioned this. I, I thought it was interesting on the composite two star, and I'm bringing back old old episodes here. But you mentioned how everybody at the time was like, "Oh, you got to put Eric Gentry on him." You're like, you can't just throw a guy out there if he hasn't practiced it. But I feel like that's something that needed to be practiced going into that Utah game because you know how good their tight ends always are, and Dalton Kincaid ends up being a first round pick. That you got to be able to mix it up, and you saw that a little bit later in the season. And a little bit was Eric Gentry got hurt in that Utah game, so we didn't see it for a while. But when they played Michael Mayer at Notre Dame, they did occasionally use Eric Gentry out there. So maybe that's something that will be an option a little bit more this season. And maybe maybe that's instead of just as a linebacker being split out a little bit, maybe it is as a nickelback. So a lot more options, though, and that's the biggest thing is with all the additions through the transfer portal the last two years is just giving Alex Grinch a lot more options. So that makes that puts that much more pressure on Grinch this season, in my opinion, is. Hey, now you don't have an excuse like I call, uh, Lincoln. I just I don't know what I can do here because I don't have anybody that fits what I want to do. Type of thing is like you got options. You got to make something happen now or make some adjustments both the scheme wise and to the personnel to to make things work a little bit better. So you get to pass for season one this year. I think everyone's going to be looking you know, obviously at Alex Grinch, but I think now it's much more on him just because there are all those extra options. But let's look a couple years in advance too. USC not only gets Traquan, Fagans coming in, and we'll have to figure out whether it's Fagans or Fegans. You keep calling him Fegans. I keep calling him Fagans. Uh, <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> well, we'll find out in fall camp for sure um, there. But, you know, his younger brother, Anquan uh, Fagans, comes in, 2025, five-star safety. Obviously, you would think anytime you get a five-star safety out of Alabama, it's going to be a very difficult hold, you know, for, for multiple years here to hold on to that commitment throughout the, the time. But obviously with the, with the big brother being there, that makes a lot different. How did, how does USC keep him committed and how does he fit in for USC as a defensive back? Yeah, he is a natural free safety. So he is definitely a ball Hawk, great vision, great speed. Uh, the son of Antoine, the younger brother of Antoine jr. The younger brother of Traquan uh, you see a theme here, right, with Anquan. <laughs> uh, definitely uh, a true safety and, uh, yeah, I think a guy that fits in really anywhere, you know, as a safety. Whether you want to put him as a nickel, you want to put him free, single high, uh, bring him down in the box because he gets a little bigger and you can put him as a strong safety. He can really play anywhere on the field. And so uh, that's a guy that uh, you don't really worry about necessarily. He shows the speed to be able to play sideline to sideline. And again, you know, the eyes of a safety are very important. You, you can be fast and then you can play fast. And sometimes those are different things. Sometimes guys don't clock well, but because they see the play and they diagnose it, uh, they're able to be, you know, two steps ahead of everybody else. And so he has, I think, a little bit of both. And so that's why he's a five star. That's why he's rated as, 
you know, number one players in the country uh, in terms of how you keep a hold of him. I think, you know, really it's one of those things where there's some NIL going through uh, his brother, Traquan. And I think that's a unique situation for USC where they have clearly from a collective standpoint, taking uh, the approach that the guys on the roster are the priority and and roster retention is the priority. They want to make sure that the guys that are on the roster are happy and are taken care of. And then they're looking at transfers because transfers do in most cases have some film. There's something there that you can uh, gleam in terms of what production they might have ahead of them, uh, as opposed to high school kids where maybe there's more of a reach there. Uh, Now I know that, you know, Anquan is two years removed, uh, but nevertheless, from the standpoint of, you know, somebody swooping in and, and throwing, you know, some crazy NIL deal. Well, you know, he's got family on the team. And so I think USC is probably just a bit more comfortable uh, working those angles because Traquan is now there. So it's like you're part of the Trojan family, you know, mm-hmm. uh, indirectly at least. And so I think that is going to make it easier. Uh, it doesn't mean that USC is going to lock him in. Obviously, USC has got to take care of it on the field and they've got to show progression there on the defensive side of the ball. And a lot is going to weigh on how Traquan plays. If, if Traquan comes in and he's a contributor and they develop him and he goes on and he's, he's draftable, then that's probably going to help their chances be able to land Anquan. But if he doesn't and, you know, he's not happy and, you know, potentially could even transfer again. Uh, then that's not probably going to go well for holding on to Anquan. So that's that's basically how it's going to play out, and we'll see um, how it goes. And I think the first thing we just have to watch is how Traquan plays and how he produces and how he's used and how happy he is at USC. And then that's going to ultimately impact uh, what Anquan feels about USC to a large extent. But he's going to be a fun guy to watch if you get a chance to watch his clips because if you know because he's not playing cornerback because he's playing safety he actually gets to be a little bit more involved they can't just throw away from him all the time so he'll have a little bit more highlight clips than than Traquan necessarily had as a senior uh, so he he should be a fun guy to follow he is fun to watch if you watch the highlight clips just because he moves well it's, you know similar to Kalen Bullock you know playing that center field he can go get the ball pretty 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 darn well um, so that was the positive for USC. That was a week ago. Then you come into this week, maybe not as positive. You know, finally get a commitment, a recommitment, a second commitment, whatever you want to call it. Dylan Rayola has been bouncing back and forth. Crystal balls have been, you know, chiming in here and there like it's, a, you know, a Disney movie or something just popping up left and right. Uh, but he decides to commit to Georgia earlier this week. Uh, so now USC, where do they go? You know, what what happens here now that Dylan Rayola, the number one player in the, the country in the 2024 class, the number one quarterback, USC's, you know, top priority at, at the quarterback position, where do they go now and how – how much of a priority is getting another quarterback in that class, do you think, for USC? It's a priority enough that there's really one option right now, and that's modern-day quarterback Elijah Brown, because he's the only quarterback in the 2024 class that has a scholarship offer from USC, and he's the only one that's got an official visit scheduled for USC for the last week of June. So they're recruiting him, and you know it looked like maybe – they're going to still get Dylan Riola in on an official visit, maybe in early June, see how that went. And then they could kind of see if they needed to pivot and transition uh, to Elijah Brown. But right now, Elijah Brown is the guy. Uh, there are potentially other players 
uh, names that USC has kind of looked at but haven't necessarily seriously recruited. You know, we've talked about Baltimore, Maryland, St. Francis uh, quarterback Michael Van Buren. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, played on national television and, you know, kind of drew some similarities maybe in terms of his profile, his build, and how he played to Bryce Young. Um, now, you know, he's a guy that's going to be committing here very soon, but we know that, uh, you know, that could change um, things, you know, as, as the season progresses. Uh, we saw it change with Dylan Riola already once. So, you know, that that, that could change in the future. Uh, Chandler, Basha, quarterback Desmond Williams actually camped at USC last summer. He's committed to Ole Miss right now, but uh, another kind of smaller quarterback that USC brought in and and, and looked at um, and decided not to offer a scholarship, but always potentially uh, a guy that maybe, you know, they look at again. Uh, somebody that they really didn't recruit at all was Draper Corner Canyon quarterback Isaac Wilson. Uh, Isaac, uh, the younger brother of Zach, he wanted to actually take an unofficial visit to USC and meet with Lincoln Riley, but that was last year when USC was all in on Dylan Riola. And so basically Lincoln Riley, from, from what I was told, uh, just said, Hey, you know, if you want to come to campus and, and watch practice, that's cool. But you know, we're, we're, we're recruiting one guy and that's Dylan Riola. And, and that was, uh, something that Julian Sand, uh, sources close to him also, uh, said to us, uh, when, uh, USC was pursuing Dylan Riola the first time. So, USC kind of put a lot of eggs in that basket. It didn't work out. You know, do they need a quarterback in 2024? I mean, ultimately, that's the question you're asking. Uh, not necessarily. Um, you want three scholarship quarterbacks on your roster at all times. That's 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 really what you want. They've got four right now. Now, Caleb Williams will leave. And then you'll have, you know, Miller Moss, it looks like, is going to stick around. Uh, so you'll have Miller Moss there. You'll have Malachi Nelson. And then uh, Jake Jensen is there as well. And so you would technically have three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. And the other thing, and I think this is kind of the underlying theme and, and the feeling with Trojan fans, regardless of what happens with any of these high school recruits, is in the back of everybody's mind, Lincoln Riley going into the transfer portal, even before there was a transfer portal, and plucking guys out as transfers and turning them into Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, you know, maybe it creates this uh, this false sense of security. But I mean, the safety net of a potential transfer coming in and being a guy that can uh, plug and play right away is is very much something that's a, a realistic possibility for USC at all times with Lincoln Riley because he's done it uh, with Jalen Hurts. He's done it with technically Caleb Williams. Boy, I would say that's a little different story because he was there at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley before he transferred to USC. Uh, but they did it with uh, Braxton, um, uh, not Braxton, uh, I, I, Baker Mayfield. I, I screw up his name every week. I do not know why. <laughs> I, I, Mayfield, I don't know why. I, I, Braxton, I don't even say Braxton. Uh, but but all those different quarterbacks that he had at, uh, at you know, Kyler Murray was, was a transfer as well from Texas A&M. Every, every one of those guys, I mean, tra Heisman Trophy winning transfers. So it's like, you know, USC fans are like, Dylan Riola went somewhere else. Okay, cool. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. You know, it's it's not a, a big deal. And I think truthfully, and I've been pounding this drum, so it cannot sound like sour grapes. Okay. I am, I am not eating sour grapes. This is cotton candy <laughs> grapes, folks, right here. Uh, it is, uh, I, I did not think Dylan Riola was the best fit for USC. I, I just, you know, he's a pro style quarterback. He's a big kid. Um, he's semi-mobile. But I think, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Lincoln Riley has had some really dynamic offenses with guys who can move. And, and not just they're not mobile, 
but specifically they're athletic enough to run by design. And that part of his offense keeps the defense honest. You see it all the time where the, where the defense, they're scheming against the run game. And it's just you've got a guy who can make a play with his legs. It totally changes everything, man. Like that, 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 uh, that great middle read option that they had against Notre Dame down there by the goal line. And, and, and Caleb Williams takes up the middle and that, that, that defensive lineman is, is right there on the, like, he's right there. And he just does not think that Caleb Williams is going to keep the ball. And it's just that the, the sky's open, man. He just walks right into the end zone. And it's like, yes, that's why you got to have a guy that can make that type of play. Now that's also kind of counting out uh, Miller Moss to some extent. Right. And, you know, it, the offense would have to change a lot, I think, from from Miller Moss. You know, it's going to have to rely more on pass protection. You're going to have to maybe move the pocket. You've got to get that ball out faster. There's there's differences, and Miller Moss has strengths that maybe Caleb Williams doesn't have. But you would definitely have to change the offense in in, in court, sort of you know build it a little bit more around that pocket passer, and that's something that we haven't necessarily seen so much. From Lincoln Riley offenses, at least the offenses that have been as prolific uh, with guys like, you know, Caleb Williams and Kyler Murray and uh, uh, Baker Mayfield at, at the at behind center. Well, the one thing I will say is the adaptability of the offense. Now you talked about how the, you know, the run and the read option, different things like that. Baker Mayfield is not a running quarterback. Now he would create a little bit more and maybe a little bit more than a Miller Moss or uh, a Dylan Rayola, you know, after a play breaks down, he could do that. And that, that is a weapon in and of itself. You know, just the fact that, Hey, you know, something, you just extend a play, you make a guy miss in the backfield when some, when an offense lineman whiffs or whatever to give your guys an extra chance or the plays is, you know, they're it's covered. The play is covered and suddenly you roll out and keep a play alive and someone can break free and do that. And Caleb Williams does that so phenomenally. But Baker Mayfield Sam did Darnold. that as well. So Sam what? Darnold. Sam Darnold was was kind of like that for USC. The offense yeah. was not built around him necessarily running, but man, how many bad plays did he get out of because Sam Darnold was just get three he was able to break a tackle, make a move and get, you know, two yards, three yards and it was the difference between a positive gain and negative, you know, seven. I think that's such a huge thing for College football offenses, man, you mm-hmm. you really can't. it's tough for college football offenses to come back from those kind of negative plays. Exactly. And I think that 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 puts an emphasis if you do not have a guy who is a true mobile quarterback, a dual threat quarterback, the pocket presence becomes that much more you know uh, notable. You know, your pocket awareness. Can you feel that rush coming? Can you move up in the pocket and do all those things that becomes that much more important. But the thing I, I liked about or have liked about Lincoln Riley's offense the adaptability of it that Baker Mayfield, hey, he could create and keep some plays alive and maybe get you out of one of those. But he's not a guy you run the read option with a ton. Whereas a couple times later, uh, you know, a couple cycles later, you have Jalen Hurts and halfway through the season, they adapted the offense to say, you know, they don't like to run their quarterbacks a ton just because of the potential of the injury injury. But with Jalen Hurts, they're like, this guy's a tank. We're going to start running the ball more with him and doing that. And you saw that the offense adapted there. And I think that's what makes Lincoln Riley's offense unique. And that's not just for quarterbacks. He will adapt it based on the receivers versus tight end, you know, who he has, um, you know, just whatever weapon he can utilize best. But I think that that gives me at least confidence in watching USC's offense if they do go to Miller Moss. You know, if, if, if God forbid that Caleb Williams gets injured, so we never want to see an injury, but if he gets injured, and you have to go to Miller Moss, 
Moss, okay, it may not be that game plan, but the next week's game plan, if Miller Moss is starting, I think would be a lot different. And I think that they would do different things to, you know, to help uh, negate the potential of those negative plays and stuff and help him out like you talked about and how they would change the offense. So I think that, you know, they could potentially, if they were all in on a Julian Sayin or if they landed Dylan Rayola, like I think they could make those adjustments. Uh, now, you just have those electric plays that Caleb Williams does that I don't think any quarterback can necessarily do. And I think you would have that similar with Elijah Brown. Like he's not a guy that's going to take off running, but he has really good pocket presence. That's one of the things that's been most impressive to me. Um, you know, he just doesn't get sacked. Now, part of it is he's got a true D- division one offensive line in front of him. But when there is pressure, you know, playing some of the better teams, he, you know, finds a way to move up in the pocket and get rid of the ball and doesn't take those negative plays. So I'm curious going forward, I think these are the two options that USC has, or maybe three options. But number one is, okay, Dylan Rayola, you just you, you figure he's done. He's off the board. They go all in on Elijah Brown. And the fact that Elijah Brown is one, the only quarterback in the top 13 in our 24-7 you know, um, rankings for the 24-4 class that is not committed tells me maybe he's been waiting around for USC to go all in on him. And maybe they do that, they pick up the commitment, and it's done. Okay, they've got their quarterback. If that's not the case, I think one of the other options is, all right, now you go trying to to snipe somebody. All right, Julian Sayans committed to Alabama, but do you really want to go all the way to Alabama? Look, they just brought in a, uh, you know, they just brought in Tyler Buckner. He's going to be there for multiple years. You start trying to negative recruit. You start trying to get into the mind of someone. Look at what we can do for you, type of thing. With either Ju- Julian Sayan, um, you see how Florida seasons go, season goes, and maybe you can start getting in with DJ Lagway. You start trying to attack somebody else, basically. Um, you know, the because of the top twenty-two. Uh, quarterbacks right now there's only two uncommitted you mentioned both of them um, with Elijah Brown and Isaac Wilson maybe open it up and say hey Isaac Wilson you look I know your brother's uh, NFL guy it's a business you understand this we were going to go all in Dylan Riola was our guy but hey he didn't want to be with us now we're going to turn our attention to you so maybe they you know kind of redirect and go after someone else we'll have to see kind of how that kind of plays out but I think those are kind of the options for them or you just burn the class that, I think that's the other option is you just say, you know, we don't need a quarterback in this class. And like you mentioned, you know, kind of how USC fans are like, look at all the quarterbacks that went into the transfer portal this year. You know, it could USC, you know, after, you know, if Malachi Nelson isn't the guy or whatever, and you have to go forward, you need another quarterback. You go out and get a Sam Hartman or a Devin Leary or Walker Howard, uh, Tanner Mordecai, DJ Ungalele, Spencer Sanders. Like these are guys that are all elite 11 guys. Sam Heward, Taven Jackson, Jake Garcia, Nick Evers. Like these are all guys that have entered the transfer portal, whether they sat behind someone and thought they should be playing immediately. And so they were going somewhere else to try to get playing time. There's definitely going to be guys out there that are quality, talented players now. The question then becomes, how quickly can you get them, uh, you know, uh, integrated into your offense? And I think that's what Lincoln Riley's done really well with the Baker Mayfields and uh, Kyler Murray's and, and Jalen Hurts. But like I just mentioned a minute ago with Jalen Hurts, like they shifted the offense about halfway through the season or two thirds of the way through the season to change some things. Whereas if you've got a guy in there for multiple years, you're not making those changes on the fly. You've already got stuff planned going forward. So that's one of the challenges of the transfer portal, maybe losing a game early and that haunting you down the road. But 
Uh, maybe that doesn't become as important when the playoff expands and suddenly more teams are in, the, are in the conversation. A lot of different things could play into it, but I think those are kind of the options for them at the quarterback now that Dylan Riola has committed to Georgia. I just think there's a couple of different ways they can go about it. Um, is there something that kind of stands out to you? Do you feel like, all right, now they go all in on Elijah Brown and, you know, that kind of opens things up and he's been waiting for that? Or do you feel like they keep trying to, you know, peck at some of the, the other quarterbacks that are on the board? No, I think Elijah Brown is the target right now. And, and, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of people kind of used how good modern day was from a talent standpoint against Bryce Young as well when he was coming out of high school and it was like oh yeah Bryce Young well yeah he has all day to throw behind that offensive line he's not going to have that in college and it's like well he went to Alabama so yeah he did <laughs> he did actually have that kind of time and 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 but the thing is you know one of the the factors one of the very very good angles that Alabama used to leverage Bryce Young away from USC uh, outside of just, hey, you know, Clay Helton's going to get fired, he's going to get fired, was the lack of good offensive line recruiting that was going on at USC. And the fact that Alabama was recruiting all these four-star, five-star guys, and it was like, look it, you're a small guy. You know, we know you're mobile, but you're small. And you can be mobile, and you're still going to meet some big linebacker. What we want to do is give you a, a good pocket to be able to sit behind, a pocket that you're used to at modern day. USC can't do that. You know, look at USC's guys, look at, you know, the guys that we have. And, and you can see that, you know, we've got NFL first round type talents. that are going to be playing in front of you. USC has obviously improved and developed a lot along the offensive line. So I think that's also a selling point for some of these quarterbacks as well. Everybody talks about Lincoln Riley and talks about all the things he's done. And that's certainly worth mentioning. It's certainly at the top of the list of things you talk about when you're trying to recruit a quarterback. But the low key thing that USC has done which improves, I think, in my opinion, their their quarterback recruiting going forward is the development of their offensive line and also even the development of the run game and the fact that you can run the ball now and the quarterback doesn't have to do everything. So a guy like Elijah Brown, people will say, oh, you know, he's got this great offensive line in front of him at modern day. He's got these good uh, running backs and he's got these good receivers. It's like, OK, cool. But USC wants to have all those good running backs and all those good offensive linemen, too. And there's not going to be this big step down in terms of the talent that he's going to be playing with. Elijah Brown is a winner. Elijah Brown is composed. Elijah Brown has gotten it done since his freshman year. Let me say that again, because I have a microphone this week, if you guys haven't noted. <laughs> his freshman year. That's big time at a program like Modern Day. And, and the competition you're playing against, yeah, he's got great players around him, but He's also seeing some of the best players across from him in that league and even in the in the, the the schedule that they play outside of the league when they're going to Duncanville and they're going across the the the, the country to go play St. Francis. So, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, Elijah Brown makes the most sense. He, he is not the, the tangible guy. He's not the guy with the big old, you know, pro arm and, and, and you know, six foot four and, and runs the four four and all this other stuff. But he is a guy that has gotten it done at the high school level. And I think, you know, USC has done a lot of evaluation on him. It's not a sort of, oh, well, we're not sure, whatever. We just need a guy and he's at modern day and he can help recruit modern day. They looked at him and they watched him at the passing tournament, you know, and he went head to head against Malachi Nelson at the USC passing tournament. And Malachi Nelson won uh, that uh, exchange. 
But, um, you know, USC got a long look at Elijah Brown. So they, they felt confident when they made that scholarship offer that he can get it done for them. Yeah, he's an interesting prospect. I think he's still got some baby fat. I think when he like really tones up, I think that may add to the arm strength a little bit more too. So, um, and like I said, the the thing that's kind of stood out to me watching him is just the pocket presence, the ability to not take those you know negative plays and just kind of knows where to go every time and can make those quick reads. So he processes really well, and that was the thing. Now JT Daniels also processed really well, and I thought he would be a surefire you know star. And he got beat up at USC and that, you know, that kind of sent his career into a different trajectory. I think uh, definitely did. Um, and the ironic thing you talk about Bryce Young and how Alabama recruited him is that he was running for his life a lot last year. So uh, it was interesting that that was one of the things that they uh, were really harping on and recruiting, but that's going to wrap it up for this first half of the show. We're going to, we're going to jump into our break. We got to take a break and, uh, you know, re re uh, recharge the juices here for GM and I will come back. We'll talk a little bit bit about some of the offers that have been put out there the under the radar camp the relaunch of ncaa football and answer a couple of listeners questions when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Welcome back from the break. Make sure you check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, send them to podcast at uscfootball.com. Gerard, before we jump into the segments that I already talked about that we're going to mention, I got to ask you a question because obviously, you know, I cover basketball and we'd mentioned earlier it was a big weekend last weekend, 10 days ago or so for USC, getting the commitment of LeBron James Jr., Bronny James. And, you know, I know I don't want you to break down Bronny James, uh, you know, game. I know you can do that. You're, you're a multi-sport, multi-dimensional guy. We already talked about that a little bit on the emergency podcast with Adam Jasper and I. You guys can check that out if you want to. But I thought it was interesting just because this is, you know, something that it, it's kind of a new territory for USC. Do you think that this commitment um, will be felt by basketball? I mean, the basketball commitment will be felt and impact will be felt by the football program. And what I mean that is – you know, USC now has Bronny James, who's probably got the biggest NIL valuation, you know, potential of any player, potentially in America, especially high school player right now. He's already got his own NIL deals coming in, um, as well as Juju Watkins, the women's basketball number one player in the country. She's already got NIL deals. Isaiah Collier, the number one men's basketball player, is coming in. Do you feel like the, those type of players being on campus, whether it be in another sport, um, does that help bring value across multiple sports to USC does it you know does it make USC that much more attractive that suddenly you get more NIL potentially coming in uh, in similar ways that you can you know when a team goes on an NCAA tournament run or a team makes the college football playoff that their admissions you know their applications start you know going up you know they get more applications because more team more students start paying attention do you think that extra attention will have any impact on the football team well, I think the athletic program, if there's success across the board, it's always good, right? There's mm-hmm. there's sort of that bleed over uh, of hype and and everybody's doing well, and there's sort of this frenzy, if you will, 
uh, with USC athletics. And there was, there's a point in time where the basketball team started to do really well and the football team was still pretty good, but not necessarily where, you know, both are actually competing for championships Uh, that we haven't really seen that at USC. It always seems like one's up, one's down. And I think with the NIL angle, that's the interesting thing because you're talking about some high school kids uh, in basketball and from the football side of things, the approach has really been more with transfers and not so much putting focus on NIL deals with high school football players. Now there's the biggest difference. You don't have that many basketball players that you're recruiting and you're in and you're out with football. You've got literally hundreds of guys that you're going through and you're going to offer scholarships to, and you're trying to sift through to figure out, you know, who's the guy that we can really invest in. And I think it's a, a pretty small number. And I think that the, Money people at USC are just not comfortable throwing a, a bunch of deals and, and trying to make a bunch of deals for some guys from out of state that uh, they're just not all that familiar with necessarily. And certainly with LeBron James, the name, uh, that in itself is sort of a brand that's already established. So USC just kind of brings that in and, and tries to embellish it uh, to some extent. They try to kind of put their own twist on it. And ride it. You know, that's what you're trying to do if you're USC. You're trying to mm-hmm. kind of ride that brand and hope it takes you to another level and that it's an example for other uh, young athletes that see from an NIL standpoint that USC is 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 brand building, but it's also taking brands and making them bigger and, and, and really giving them a, a positive light and being able to kind of showcase them in such a way that only Los Angeles can. And that's a unique thing about Los Angeles. And certainly I think when you have the celebrities and USC, you know, when they had Pete Carroll as a head coach, he always welcomed in the celebrities, the, the Snoop Dogs, uh, the Will Ferrells. He had those guys intermix. And with Pete's philosophy was always keep everything at 11, right? It was like Spinal Tap, man. It's like 10. No, no, no. We have it at 11. And it was always at 11 because he almost wants to, wanted to desensitize the football team. He didn't want ebbs and flows. He didn't want it to be like a roller coaster up and down. Like, okay, we're practice. It's quiet. We're focused. Because that's not how it's going to be in a game. When you run out there in front of 93,000 people at the Coliseum under the lights and the fireworks are going off, Man, you, you don't want that to be shocked to the system. You don't want your guys all of a sudden, oh, all this adrenaline is going. And you're thinking, well, that's good. They're, they're excited. They're pumped up. They're ready to play. But no, sometimes that adrenaline gets the better of you. So if you desensitize your players to always having the celebrities, always having something going to practice, there was always something. It wasn't just music. It wasn't like, oh, well, we play rap music at practice, so it's really intense. No, it was, you know, you had fans hanging off the gates and the fences. You had, you know, 2,000, you know, almost 3,000 people packed into Howard Jones Field. You had celebrities showing up. You had people falling off of the the parking towers and all kinds of stuff, stunts going on. It was always something to keep guys on their toes because it was almost like we're going to use the distractions to our advantage. Now, that's different than what Lincoln Riley is doing. Lincoln Riley is definitely taking the more old school, which is quite frankly, the approach by most coaches. You're looking at Nick uh, Saban. You're looking at uh, Muschamp, you know, Harbaugh. Most of those coaches really close things down. You know, it's kind of insular and we want to keep every, you know, all the distractions out and everything. But I think Pete was on to something. I think he understood LA and he knew that it was kind of futile 
to try to do that. So maybe this is an opportunity where, yeah, there's going to be a, a, maybe a little brighter light shining on USC athletics as a whole. And you kind of embrace it and go with it and maybe use it to keep your football team at a, at a high level of readiness all the time. You know, you, 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 you don't have to prepare when you're already right. That's, that's just a sort of the thing. So, I mean, potentially, you know, it, it could, it could go a lot of different ways for USC, you know, the celebrity and uh, the, the sort of hype that goes around with, you know, not just the football team. And, and certainly from a competitive level, you know, the football players are going to want to be the, the apple's eye of the fan base and, you know, basketball's coming up and they're doing things and, you know, maybe it puts more pressure on the football program and vice versa. And, and that's always a good thing because obviously if you have, you know, a little bit of competition going on with, with within uh, the athletic department, you know, everybody's striving to get better. Yeah, and you know there, there's been a, a number of big time celebrity celebrities themselves that have gone to USC, as well as celebrities' children, different things. Has there been a time like this on campus, as far as in your time covering USC? Um, I mean, I feel like there, there's just so many notable people that are on campus right now as students. I mean, Barack Obama's daughter just graduated. You got Kobe Bryant's daughter. You got LeBron James' son. You got Dennis Rodman's son. All will be on campus next year. Um, and, you know, you talk about at the baseball teams, got Steffi Graf and, and uh, Andre Agassi's son playing on it. I mean, there's you got Jerry Rice's son playing on the football team. As far as just notable kids, you got a top of the line. But just as far as on campus with the football team going and the basketball team really pushing forward, has there been a time like this where there has been that potential just, you know, that – USC is is you know the place to be in all aspects it feels right now. Well, when you say it like that and you list all those names of uh, all the professional parents of students that are going to USC, no, I don't think so. And, and that's mean, not to mention they also have this kid named Caleb Williams who's the Heisman Trophy winner, current tr- Heisman Trophy winner on campus as well. Yeah, it 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 is kind of wild when you when you when you take a big step back and look at it. I mean, I'm you know, all focused in on the football team. So, you know, football program wise, it's like, hey, you know, what's USC doing to change the culture? You know, that sort of moving it forward, you know, the, the obviously expectations are high, but you're sort of dealing with, you know, the increments of of the football team and, and how they're getting better. But I mean, you're talking big scope wise, you're talking about the athletic department as a whole and yeah, the notoriety that kind of comes with and the potential hype that can come with it. But you like I said, you got to use it because it can become a little bit of a distraction. It becomes, you know, the bigger story instead of the accomplishments themselves. And you don't want that. So um, it's going to be just kind of interesting to see over the next few years as everything plays out uh, what the product is, you know, what what comes from it. What's the actual result? Yeah, and we'll see how USC continues to market it. Uh, you know, um, I've been told that there's going to be a basketball kind of show that takes place. You know, it's going to be kind of a documentary style that will take place kind of following this year's team. So that should be interesting. We'll see how that gets done and exactly how they do that. Um, I think it's just a really interesting time to be on campus with the fact that it feels like all these programs, all the big you know programs at USC, you know, congratulations. The water polo team has been consistent. The track and field has been really good recently. You know, tennis is doing a little bit better these days. Golf has been doing, but your money makers 
are all it seem to be ascending right now. Football just seems like it's taken off when Lincoln Riley, you know, men's basketball has a chance to have one of their best seasons next year. You know, they've got some of the most talented at least coming in. Women's basketball is, is heading an upward trajectory. Baseball seems to be doing that. So, you know, it, it should be interesting just to see how, you know, they continue to build on this and how they can, you know, how, how they can capitalize on the momentum they've got. But let's get back to let's get back to the football side. Let's get back to recruiting. Let's take yeah, it. We got to get back into the weeds. What is, what is this sports center talk of every <laughs> doing the 15 minutes on every team and you know the general? The, yeah, LeBron James. LeBron James, come on, man. We're in here talking about 2027 cornerbacks that don't have offers yet. Uh huh. And, <laughs> and and what is that 2027 cornerback going to think when he gets to go to a game and pregame he's standing beside LeBron James? There you go. I mean, that's the kind of thing you're or on the other side of him is Jerry Rice. You know, these are the guys that could potentially be on the sidelines next year. So I I think that's what kind of stands out to me because it does impact recruiting going forward, because if I'm a kid from East or West Texas and I'm in a small podunk town, never been out. I get a chance to go on an official visit and I see at USC and I go to the basketball game. Yeah, I go on an official visit in January and they take me to the basketball game and hey, LeBron's at the game. What? And you're going to see some other celebrities that are at the game or whatever. And you're like, I, I could actually be in the same arena with LeBron. Like this doesn't happen to me back in West Texas. So maybe that becomes more of an attractive thing. But let's look at some of the offers to some of those 27, 26, 25 kids. You know, USC has been on the road uh, during the May evaluation period, been all over the place. And their offers have kind of come from all over the place. Now, a good a good portion of these are California kids. But I think the most interesting thing about some of these names I'm about to read off is note some of the different states that these are from. All right, so we'll start with 2025. Texas tied in, Coyote, Armstrong. You got these are all new offers that USC's had in the last 10 days or so uh, that we went back. You know, um, you got Georgia cornerback Onis Conanbani. You got Miami Central cornerback Amari Wallace, not to be confused with North Palm Beach 2025 edge Amari Williams or Amari Williams. I'm not exactly how you pronounce it. It could be Amari. It could be Amari. Uh, you got Louisville, Texas, offensive lineman Michael Fasusi, uh, South Lake uh, Carroll, Texas, tight end Jake Van Dorselaer. Dorselaer, that's a pretty good name. You know, these Texas kids, you know, either where they're from or, you know, their names themselves could be, you know, interesting names to be on that commitment video. Sierra Canyon, 2025, cornerback Jayon Young. 2025 athlete Trey McNutt, four-star guy out of Shaker Heights in Cleveland. Upland cornerback Treston Castro. Calvary Baptist, Louisiana running back James James Simon, excuse me. Kansas, St. Thomas Aquinas, 2025 defense lineman Juju Marks. Chicago, Illinois, 2025 edge Chris Burgess. And the last 2025 Denton Ryan, 2025 offensive lineman Ty Haywood. To move to 2026, try to use a little bit quicker. Connecticut defensive lineman Adam Shovlin, Lakewood, California defensive end, tight end Caleb Tafua, Los Alamitos defensive tackle Minanoa Fapusu, uh, modern day linebacker Sean Scott, St. John Bosco athlete Joshua Holland, uh, Salt Lake City Davis um, 2026 defensive lineman Viliami Moalo, and Malvern Prep Pennsylvania Cameron Brickle and Georgia running back Jonas Walton, all 2026, and one 2027 offer from Inglewood, cornerback Jake Whitehead. Troy, I think, like I said, I think the states stand out to me there, but anything else that kind of stands out to you about the offers that have gone out in the last week and a half or so? 
I want to know where is Rubin Gap, Georgia? Because that sounds like a porn star's name. <laughs> Rabin Gap is how it's pronounced. It's actually in uh, northeast Georgia, up in the mountains, actually. And this is where uh, the quarterback from a couple years ago, it's a potential going to win the, US, the Georgia job. Um, blanking on his name off the top of my head, I'll have to look it up. But he's the kid that they told that he wanted he wanted them to take the red jersey off or whatever during uh, bowl prep so that he could be hit by the defense. Like uh, That's the type of kid he is. So that's the type of kid that it breeds up there in Rabin Gap, Georgia. Rubbin Gap. Rabin so, Gap. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of kids, you know, 2026, you know, it's around the corner. Um, you know, Sean Scott from modern day, love him. You know, outside linebacker, good looking kid. You know, modern day in St. John Bosco, those 2026 classes are, are already looking very, very good. And, and not just, you know, at the skill positions, but offensive line as well. And so that's going to be something interesting to watch. We talked about USC and, and in the trenches and having to go outside the state but you know they might not have to go outside the state as much over the next few cycles just because of St. John Bosco and modern day you know very good offensive linemen and a few defensive linemen here and there I think defensive line in terms of interior guys they're probably still going to have to go into Texas and go in the south or go into the portal uh, one of those options to get those high end type players but I think offensive line you know they've, they've got some uh, some decent players that are, are coming up locally um, but yeah, just a lot of names. You can see this is basically where the coaches are. These are May evaluation visits. So many of these kids that are getting offers right now uh, just had the coaches come by the high school. So you see, you know, USC, obviously uh, very active in Texas. USC, you know, on the on the East Coast, uh, seeing Roy Manning out there in Connecticut in, uh, um, you know, that area on the eastern seaboard, which is uh, kind of interesting because, you know, he's a, a former Michigan linebacker. Um, and a guy that, you know, really recruited San Diego a lot when he first got to USC and he was recruiting San Diego for Oklahoma State. So he's been one that continues to seem to get a lot of uh, mention by name by kids. You know, when we talk to them, it, uh, there's, you know, those coaches that just seem to make that impression, uh, whether it's after a scholarship offer or just a conversation. And for whatever reason, Roy Manning, you know, tends to be a guy that, you know, when he has that chat with these kids uh, ha has sort of stood out. So um, he's doing a, a good job, you know, recruiting the edge. And um, kind of as, as a territory, it seems like they're jumping around a little bit territory initially, and then they're kind of going by position uh, to follow up on some guys. A lot of times you'll go into your territory and maybe Kyle McDonald sees a guy that's a safety. And even though he's looking for running backs, he sees a safety he likes. He says, hey, you know, Alex, you need to come back out here maybe in a couple of weeks and check out this kid. And then, you know, there's that follow up. So uh, that's usually how these scholarship offers happen. Or just to kind of, oh, let me, even if they're just kind of throw the scholarship offer out there, I like this kid, and then you will evaluate him afterwards. That sometimes happens as well when these coaches are on campus because they want to give that immediate feeling, that justification, that that uh, warm and fuzzy feeling to a kid if they can offer him uh, while they're there on campus. So maybe Kyle McDonald says, this guy looks good enough, and they offer him, and then they send that film back to the coaches, then they make a decision how bad, how much they want to really pursue that. Real quick on Rabin Gap, um, the, the kid I was talking about, the quarterback at Georgia, Gunnar Stockton, um, is actually from Rabin County, which I should know because he was coached by a, a friend of mine, Jabo Shaw, who was a quarterback at uh, Georgia Tech and eventually in the NFL as well. So, um, But he's now um, in, in, at Georgia. This kid actually goes to Rabin Gap Nakuchi School. What a good name, oh. the Nakuchi oh, School. What are we doing in Georgia? What are we doing? I hear you. I see you, Georgia. I see what you're doing. You got Shocking out here with his pronunciations, but I see what you're doing. 
Nakuchi school. Come on, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, out by the Nakuchi school. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, a, dump, a ton of offers getting thrown out there at this point in the year. They don't really mean anything, but it is interesting, I thought, to see you know where they are. A lot of them around the country and just kind of USC putting their foot in the door saying, hey, you know, we could be a a program. They're going to be looking seriously at you in the future. Talking about in the future, though, Gerard, give me the under the radar camp. You went out to, to check out the under the radar camp with a lot of 2027 and 2028 kids. Gerard, how old are we that we're talking about 2027 and 2028 kids? I know that the, the 2030 is just around the corner from <laughs> those classes. It's like, what will we have flying cars? Uh, no, I, I think, um, you know, it's just one of those things that I've known the under the radar guys forever. You know, they were all coaching at Inglewood high school and uh, you know, Ali and Steven Jackson and uh, Lafayette uh, Prince, all those guys that work under the radar. I've known them for a lot of years and so they they asked me to come out to the camp and um, I was like, you know, I, I, I was sort of hesitant because my thing is always I don't want to add fuel to the hype fire and give kids maybe a, a bigger head than, than they should have. Right. I don't want to create a problem later on in the recruiting process. And you could look at it and say, well, you know what, you're building relationships with these kids. And they'll know you and they'll begin to trust you throughout the process. But there's also the, well, I'm already getting interviewed when I'm a seventh grader. And by the time you're in 10th grade, it's like, please, this is this is old hat. I don't need to do this. I'm I'm too big for this sort of thing. Right. <laughs> so you, you I, I try to really like make my presence as low key as possible and just, you know, I went out there to just basically evaluate. I wasn't filming. I wasn't, you know, trying to blow these kids up or anything. Well, I should say that I, I did put some stuff on Twitter, uh, just some guys that are, you know, local and, and going to be doing some things for some local high schools. And one of the guys you mentioned getting a scholarship offer, uh, Inglewood, uh, 2027 cornerback, Jake Whitehead, who we saw, he was already a good, like six, 160 pounds. Looks like he's going to be probably even maybe a safety. Uh, I kind of joke with him and I was like, man, you know, you, by the time you are actually graduating high school, you could be the next Eric Gentry. I, you know I mean? It's one of those things where you're always looking for that unicorn type player and a kid that's, you know, not even in high school yet, six, 260 pounds playing cornerback ended up winning an MVP. The MVPs of the camp were Whitehead, um, Duvay Williams, who's an athlete, uh, uh, Kawa Chamberlain, who came up from Washington, a big linebacker already about six, two, probably about 225 pounds um, running back Jacoby Dixon, who came out from Texas, uh, a really good put together running back um, local guy, Jalen Jefferson, he's going to uh, cathedral high school. Um, and then you had like some other top performers, you know, Jalen Hills, another guy who, who's going to Inglewood, Inglewood uh, fig, our guy Malik James out there. He's getting, he's getting some dogs, man. I mean, he's got two cornerbacks. One's about six, two, and the other one's almost six, three and Jalen Hill. And these guys, again, they're not even in high school yet. These are not even freshmen. These are class of 2027 guys. Um, we watched uh, Damari Hall, who's uh, Xavier Jordan's little brother, uh, good looking player early on, you know, not really sure where he's going to land in high school, but it, it's interesting. You know, we're talking to these kids and, it's again, not interviews or just you know, I'm just talking to them and small talk with their parents and what have you. And uh, it's real low key, really well run event. And they're kind of going through the recruiting process right now for high schools. 
So it's it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, we're talking to the class of 2024, and they're trying to figure out where they're going on in official visits, NIL, you know, what colleges are going to develop them the best for the NFL, where can they, you know, feel the most comfortable. And then you've got these kids that are going from middle school, junior high to high school, and it's like a, 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 a smaller, you know, sort of similar – similar process in trying to choose schools because they're being recruited. You know, they're, all these schools are the high schools want them to go to their school. And so uh, a bunch of these kids are, are going to modern day. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of talent. I can tell you that's going to end up at modern day. Um, but uh, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you can see that the stress of the process, even though it's kind of a different process, uh, is is still heavy on them. You know, it's, it's you got to make decisions. You've got relationships with people and there's only one group of people you can say yes to. And there's a whole lot of people that you have to say no to and disappoint. So it's a little bit of a primer uh, for the recruiting process and when they when they get to college. Um, but uh, Landon Williams won the fastest man event slash boy event because he's probably, I mean, like 13. Um, a kid, to, you know, will built little running back out of Texas. He was out here. It's actually his, his second time out at the camp. So he's been out here before he's from the Houston area. We were kind of chopping it up about LA and the differences and just talking about Houston. And it was just fun to, you know, talk to him about being LA, you know, and, and kind of, you know, trying to get used to how things are out here and, and talking about, you know, Houston kids and how they view Los Angeles and being from the city. And it's like, okay, so, you know, you're recruited by a bunch of these schools that are in college towns you know, with a school like USC, you know, how do you view that? You know, is that something that uh, you you feel more comfortable a, a, in a city type environment or do you want to get away from the city and go to a college town? And of course, you know, he's 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 not even in high school yet, so he he doesn't really know. But he loves L.A. and he, and he thinks, you know, it would be fantastic if he was recruited by USC, which, um, you, you know, seeing the way things are going, if Kyle McDonald's still at USC at that point, probably will be recruited. Uh, Haven Finney who's another big time, another, I got to tell you, man, if there's one thing that stood out about this camp is a great talent, but B all these kids now that are like six, one, six, two, six, they don't want to play receiver. They want to play defensive back. They know that they are more unique and special being tall defensive backs rather than, you know, oh, you know, kind of tall receivers. Right. So it's like, you know, you're, you're 6'1", 6'2", and you're playing receiver. It's like, okay, you're kind of a tweener. You 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 could be a bigger receiver, but you're not really like 6'4", 6'5", which is a big receiver, uh, but you're not really small either. Uh, but if you're at a defensive back, you're kind of a unique guy. So you get guys like Whitehead who are legitimate 6'2". Jalen Hill's legitimately, I mean, he's got to be pushing over 6'3". He had a great pick uh, at the camp as well. Uh, and, and then you get Finney, who, who was – right there with the fastest men. I mean, he was right there and he's another guy that's like six to 150, 160 pounds and he's playing defensive back. So it's wild. That was one thing that in terms of um, if there's trends or what have you that you're seeing, uh, particularly in Southern California, it's that a lot of these taller kids uh, that are skilled players, they want to play defensive back because they know that that's a very unique thing and uh, they create a lot of matchup problems being that tall and that lengthy. It's almost like kids are getting smarter these days, Gerard. They realize their worth is uh, much more – they're more valuable as a tall defensive back rather than an average-sized wide receiver. 
However, I still wanted to catch the ball, so I would have been a wide receiver even nowadays. Um, but I, I think it's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, all these kids and, you know, the you see the pipeline starting to be built uh, once again. And you know, talk about how it's it's kind of the early recruiting period for them and kind of getting a feel for that. And that happens in Southern California just because you can, you know, move around a little bit more than some other states uh, as far as addresses and whatnot and whether you have to be be in a certain district versus going to a public or a private school or a city school or all those type things. Um, but it, it's always been intriguing to me to see these kids kind of bounce around to different schools, but also see like parents shopping their kids, you know, okay, well, let's go see which school is better. And that may not just be as athletes. Like I remember seeing randomly at modern day one day, I went to a baseball game there and I, as I was leaving the parking lot, there's Kobe Bryant because he and Vanessa were uh, there to see if, if they wanted their daughter to go to modern day. So uh, it's, it's very interesting to see the parents and just trying to find that information and where's the best school is going to be a fit for my, my student as an, an academics and an athletics. So uh, it's, it's always a, an interesting thing. And you hear a lot of the same names come up over and over because if you've got players right now, then other people are going to, follow along and that's usually what happens uh, when really good coaches go from program to program you see suddenly the their previous program isn't is uh, popular with transfers and suddenly they get a bunch more transfers or these young kids coming in as well yeah and you know it's exposure you know the the parents want to make sure that their kid is at a school which has a decent platform and they know what they're doing uh, when it comes to getting their child ready for the next level, prepared for the next level. Uh, but also, it, again, it's that exposure. And I mean, you know, I've had some conversations with some parents. And it's like, do we have to go to modern day? Do we have to go to Bosco in order to get recruited by, you know, SEC schools and Ohio State and, and, and Michigan and, and et cetera? And it's no, no, not at all. The, the, the coaches will find you. Uh, just about anywhere, at least in Southern California. I mean, there might be some places where you certainly get overlooked in California. California, high school football is not under the microscope like it is in Texas and some other schools in the South where you can kind of even be out of the way. But it's like everybody knows, hey, man, they got good players and you got to go there to go check them out. You know, there are definitely some dark spots on the map when it comes to. Uh, to high school football in California, but not really in Southern California. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. Francis Maragoa was at St. Aquinas in San Bernardino, which is not necessarily a powerhouse. Uh, and, you know, IMG found him, you know, he was already on the map, obviously, and already had scholarship offers uh, coming from uh, Samoa. So, yeah, I mean, if you can come from Samoa and go to uh, St. Uh, Aquinas and San Bernardino, not for Lauderdale, by the way, San Bernardino and then, you know, get a bunch of scholarship offers and then IMG wants to come pick you up. Uh, certainly you can get your name on the radar. And I think, you know, with with all these kids, uh, their names are kind of already out there. They're 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 already commodities to some extent. And so the high school coaches are already trying to, you know, uh, build those relationships to get them on campus. Um, and if they know about them then chances are there are already sort of names that are probably floating around some uh, football departments uh, locally and even maybe nationally. 
Yeah, and you, you talk about Ohio State being one of the schools that they were wondering about. Look at Chris Olave from Mission Hills, or look at Michael Thomas from you know Woodland Hills Taft. You know, it, you don't have to be at the modern day or Bosco to for those big name programs. If you show out at a couple of camps and stuff, then yeah, sure, you're gonna definitely get noticed by a lot of people. It's all about having the tape and. You know, sure, it does help if you're in Bosco and you go play in Florida or something. Maybe there's a coach that sees you there. But I think it actually helps more with the the three-star guy, the guy that may, you know, you, UCF's not sending a bunch of guys out to Southern California to go recruit, but they may see you if you're playing at a, a game um, in, at St. Thomas Aquinas or something like that. So, you know, I think that's where you actually, unless if you're a four or five-star guy, you're going to get noticed and you're going to get recruited. But if you're a lower-level recruit, um, you know, and a guy that maybe, you know, the, the question then becomes, do you want to go to modern day and you're battling and maybe you're a backup, but someone notices you or someone gets hurt and you get some time, or do you want to go to a smaller school and dominate and then you put up some numbers and maybe that attracts somebody. So that could be a little bit of a different dilemma as well. But it, it, it's all it's all about, you know, the kids trying to get what's the family's trying to get what's best for the kids and what can be best for them going future in the future. So we hope for the best for all those kids that, uh, you know, they find a place and they get that scholarship. That's the big thing. Get that full ride scholarship, get your degree. And then, you know, whether football works out or not, you can still fall back on the degree at least. Uh, Gerard, we each have a degree. At least I used to have my degree. I think mine's lapsed actually. In video gaming. Um, oh, okay, for video games. <laughs> so I think my mind has elapsed because I don't, I haven't had a system in at least a, probably a decade now. Um, so and it's wow. partly because you're EA a filthy Sports, casual. You're a filthy casual. Well, because EA Sports and NCAA football went away. That was my game. I used to play it all the time. I it started, never went away, shotgun. It never I, went away. I started it's still there. Uh, <laughs> it's still there. You can and you still should, play it. And you should see my Florida International Dynasty dominating the the Golden Panthers of FIU. Uh, you know, run things down in Miami and South Florida. It's not the Miami Hurricanes. We dominate them every year. But in year 2036 or whatever, we've won like 12 national championships, whatever it was. But Is Mario Cristobal still the coach? <laughs> I think I've run him out of town for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I used to play NCAA all the time. You know, I grew up playing Madden as a you know as a middle school, high schooler, and then when I got to college, I switched over to NCA, and that was my game. You know, I still play some of the other stuff, the Call of Duties and whatnot. But I, I never really got into the online gaming as much. So you know, I didn't really get into having the headset and you know, arguing with a 14 year old or whatever it may be. So I'm super excited that maybe I can get my degree back because NCAA football is coming back. It is supposed to be released. It sounds like it's going to be released later this year or, or excuse me, later uh, next year, next summer, uh, 2024 is when the game should be coming out. And we got some positive news that they have partnered with one team, which I don't, I don't know much about one team, but uh, you know one team partners with them to provide licensing on the new football game. So that means, hey, you're going to play with Caleb Williams and not USC QB number 13 if he opts into the deal. So that what it will be is the players will have the option to opt in. Now, how the pay structure and all that, that's still got to be determined, but they can opt in, and if that's the case, they opt in, then you're going to see – you know, you're going to see John Amonheim on there rather than USC right tackle number 79 or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm super excited about that and what that could mean going forward and just super excited about the NCAA football game coming back. And now I'm really debating, like, do I buy a new system? 
how is this going to work for me? I think my TV, actually, I can play through it. So maybe that becomes the thing. I just got to get a controller and I can play through Xbox or something on the TV. I don't know. Uh, a lot of questions that I'll have to figure out by next summer. Stadia Google is defunct now, Shotgun. So you're not going to be playing through your TV on that. Um, That's not what my TV has. So. <laughs> In terms of this opt-in, it's going to be interesting. Because the one thing you kind of glossed over is the fact that, yeah, by the way, the whole financials of the deal haven't been sorted out yet. And obviously some of these guys like a Caleb Williams who have agent representation are going to want to know how much are you going to pay me to be in your game? Okay, Mm -hmm. you can sort it out with everybody else, but I am possibly going to be the guy in the cover. So there's going to be that group which they are going to have to negotiate with individually. And I see where their partnership with one team, and this is something I've talked about in the past, it's the lack of union that is representing college football players, where you have that in in the NFL, you have Players Inc. And so, you know, they get together on their own time and they sort of go, okay, you know, we'll agree to this and we'll agree to that. And they have representation within that union college football you don't have that right now so this one team partnership is supposed to be they're the guys going to have to be feet on the ground that go out and they're going to make these calls and they're going to see okay who's represented by who um you know who has their own representation who has signed with a collective and might have some type of name and likeness uh rights that are tied up with that it's complicated it's very complicated and there's going to be some missing parts to this initially, you know, until they can figure out how to make, I think, more of a collective sort of bargaining agreement uh, on a bigger scale with college football players. And so um, there's even the aspect of, you know, they were working with CLC, which is the college licensing company, which is branded about 200 plus different colleges right so you can use your logos you just go through clc now i've spoken to several different merchants and outlets that have dealt with nil uh, with usc with different players for different things and they had to go through the licensing department because they use logos they use colors they use things the thing that's unique about usc and i believe this is true of notre dame as well They are not a part of CLC, and in fact, they handle their own licensing in-house. So if you have an NIL deal and it's going to use a USC logo, you've got to contact USC. You have to go through USC compliance, and you have to deal with them directly. And so it's a different situation, and and, you know that was originally something that came up when the game was announced. Uh, a couple years ago, they were announcing it was going to supposed to come out in 2021. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Notre Dame's not going to be in there. There's there's like a, a, a bunch of teams that are not going to be in the game because they didn't have this kind of overall license agreement with everybody or just a company or an entity that could represent everybody. And so now they're moving on and they're realizing, okay, that's not the biggest hurdle. The biggest hurdle is can we get all these players in? And they're talking about face scans and, and, and obviously with the top players, uh, they want to have, you know, some 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 deals. And, and certainly those deals would probably carry over to even Madden, perhaps for the top players that are potential first round picks. Um, so, you know, for the upper echelon guys, it's a no brainer. They'll figure it out. 
Uh, everybody will come to a certain number, but bigger picture, you know, how many of these guys are on the two deep? Are they going to be able to like negotiate with? They're not going to go through all these thousands of players uh, that are playing college football to do it. So you're going to have just, you know, a bunch of generic names and players, which kind of makes you wonder how come they didn't just do that in the first place. Like what's the difference between doing that now, having a generic name face and model, which which is quite frankly what they used to do. I mean, they used to ship the game without any rosters. The rosters came when you edited them in. Mm-hmm. So they're basically talking about doing that again now, uh, but it's different because they're paying some of the players. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, there's definitely some some questions that have yet to be answered. And I think, you know, it, it's just going to be see, interesting to see if EA – has the patience for this because you know it's it's a good game for them money wise and they know they can make good money on it but there's margins and there's hassles and there's expenses now that might all of a sudden kind of change your mind which might not be the worst thing it might be more of a passion project which another developer has to pick up and say this is going to be our thing right ea's got lots of things but there might be a a group that says, you know, we can sort of build our company around this sort of like, you know, like, you know, with turn 10, what they did with Forza under Microsoft. Like there's some companies that just Polygon, you know, what they did with Gran Turismo. That's like that's they're going to be our thing. You know, this is the only thing that we do and we love it and we want to do it right. And we will, you know, not look for these huge margins and profit because we just love it. This is our thing. So it'll be interesting to see if, if EA has the stomach for it, you know, long-term to have to negotiate all these deals. And, and it's just college football is so big and you have to wrap your arms around it because, you know, now you have name image likeness and you have the potential to get sued because some generic looking football player looked like Ed O'Bannon and it wasn't really Ed O'Bannon, but you know, it kind of looked like Ed O'Bannon and now Ed O'Bannon is going to sue you for it. And back then, no one actually looked how they were supposed to. So even if they were trying, they weren't really succeeding. Yeah, that um, is true. <laughs> Graphics get better, and you start to look more real. Yeah, you start to look like, hey, that looks like somebody. Hey, that, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, to, From the ESPN article that kind of uh, put this out there, it said, the EA Sports representative said the goal is to be, quote, as inclusive and equitable as possible as far as the financials. And on the one team website, the company stated that if the influence of individual sales couldn't be figured out, including for video game licensing, then, quote, revenue will be divided equally among the athletes included in each licensing program. So we'll see if it becomes a group thing, if it becomes an individual thing, how that kind of plays out. Robert Griffin III chimed in on Twitter. Uh, he says, I remember being a white QB with dreads from Montana with no arm sleeve one year and Hawaii in the next year. So he said those days are gone. We'll see how it kind of all plays out. I remember the thing was you went and downloaded the roster, and this was before everything was online. It was like, all right, you go somewhere, and you could, you know, if you had the right memory card, then you could plug it into your computer, and then you could take the, that uh, downloaded roster and then plug it into your game and then have the actual rosters that way. Um, so we'll see how it all plays out. Hopefully, the one, the only thing I have is as long as it doesn't go the way of the NCAA baseball game, which they had for two years. So the first year they had actual rosters, player with their actual attributes and all those type things. They looked kind of similar, all that type things, no names. But then the second year, they just rotated the rosters. So I remember I was playing with Georgia at the time. I think they were coming off a national championship appearance. So I'm playing with them. I knew all the players from watching them through the College World Series. The second year, that roster 
was like New Mexico or something. So I ended up playing with New Mexico or New Mexico State all the time because that's where Georgia's players were, and I knew that roster really well. But they just shifted the teams um, as far as the rosters on individual teams. So as long as they don't do something like that ridiculous, um, then I'll be happy with it. But it'll be really interesting interesting, um, and something that will just bring even more attention to the game because I can't help but think back to Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart playing those games while I was in college. That's one of the reasons why I knew Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart being an East Coast kid was because of playing the video game. And wow, this number five from USC is dominant. And then when I got the updated roster, this Reggie Bush is dominant. I want to play with him all the time because he makes everybody miss. Well, you know, you, you kind of open up a Pandora's box a little bit about NCAA 14 when you talk about the rosters because there have been edited rosters updated ever since the game was canceled. So, you know, immediately after, I, like you, played NCAA 14 a ton. I mean, that was kind of one of my mains. And I would – there was a there's a website it's still around. It's really just message boards called Operation Sports. And – you could go there, and I think it was about a year or two after the game had basically been stopped. People were still uploading uh, uploading rosters, and, mm-hmm. and you kind of had to do it manually. And so you could share your rosters and what have you, and you'd get one, and it would it would be off, you know, and you'd have some walk-ons on there or something. And you're like, dude, man, they got this four-star freshman, and he's not on the roster, and you got these three walk-ons. Like, that's weird. So you go in there, and you edit yourself. But eventually, someone – came in and made a program which could read the game files and organize them in a spreadsheet type of way. So you had to use a program called Horizon, and it would basically go in and it would take the the, the, the file, the game file, save game roster file off your memory card, and it would translate it over to this program that you could use and put it in as a spreadsheet. And at first it was just like, num- it's just numbers. It's just like, what is what, what is this? And then people started making these little data text files, which, you know, organized what was what, and you could figure out, oh, okay. So that's, that's the overall ranking. Okay. That's strength. And that's what it, and so it got to the point where you could change faces. One of the big issues with NCA 14 was that you had skinny arms on linemen. A lot of times if a lineman was <laughs> six foot two, but he could be 330 pounds. You would still have wide receiver arms. And so you could actually go in there and don't ask me why you couldn't do this and why the game had issues doing this on the front end. But in this program, you could go in and change just the number of the arms. Okay. And the number for the lineman arms is 14 or, you know, I like this face. This head is, is like a lineman guy's head. He's not on a wide receiver body number four. And you could just, and, and also duplicate numbers was another thing that NTA or EA wouldn't allow you to edit properly, which was just like, Oh my God, I got, two number sixes on USC, you know, it's, it's Mark Sanchez and it's Malcolm Smith. And I can't have both of them because now Malcolm Smith's got to be like his own number 53 or something else because Mark, Mark Sanchez has number six or what have you. And so you could go in there and put number, you could make your whole roster number one, if you wanted to. And we would then re-upload it. And it was like another program that you had to go and put your stuff into and re-save it. And then you put it on your memory card and you put in that Xbox. I did that for like three years. And eventually I just made like a USC ultimate team where I like put Leonard Williams and Reggie Bush. And like, I put them like all together, like on the same team, like a modern day dream team USC team. And 
I just played with that. And I was like, I'm good. I'm not, I'm, I just got tired <laughs> of going back and forth. And I had to have parallels on my laptop because you have to do it on Windows. And I was running a Mac. And yeah, it was just, it was a pain in the butt. But it, it still exists. And, and what somebody brought up on the Peristyle today was that there is a revamped NCA 14 that is actually upgraded logos and everything. So they've gone into the game files enough at this point, you know, over probably the last five, six years since I've been playing it at least. And they've gotten to the point where they've, they've actually updated logos and, and uniforms and things like that, switched some teams out. And so people have been playing that and they've loved it. And so uh, the modding community, man, again, coming to the rescue, you know, so many of these AAA games, um, Ghost Recon, uh, there's so many games that have come out just recently that just have not hit. And, you know, a lot of these companies don't want you to do it. You know, they, they don't like people coming in and messing around with their game files and, and they kind of protect them and make it a hassle. But there's games like Skyrim, which Bethesda put out, you know, actual modding tools for and Skyrim came out. I don't can't even remember 2016 or something. And it, it's still flourishing. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it, it's like new graphics. People put crazy stuff in there and, and new things and make Lord of the Rings type of thing out of it. And it's Elder <laughs> Scrolls and it's got this longevity. And I don't understand why more, uh, developers don't allow that because I mean it does give the game a ton of longevity and uh, and playability and and it and obviously helps build a, a great community and following. But um, that's kind of sort of happened. Even though EA didn't really probably want it to happen, it happened and people kept playing NCAA football. And I think because they weren't coming out with a new game, they didn't care really so much anymore. It wasn't like you know this mod was going to create competition. And that's probably one of the biggest issues because there was a lot of copy and paste. And this happens with Madden year in and year out, like, I mean, there was one year in Madden that they actually forgot to change the logo on one of the practice fields where it had, 20, it had 2020 still, and it was Madden 21. And it was like, dude, you guys are using the same assets for, like, every game, every, like, four or five years. Like, this is, you know, you guys have to have to make a new game, right? And it's the problem is they get an exclusive license, and there's no competition there. So it's like, hey, you know, we got this exclusive license. Yeah, we had to pay a billion dollars for it. But guess what? We're going to get our money's worth because we're going to make this game and we're going to be the only ones to make this game. And, you know, we're not going to have to necessarily put all this new technology in it every year because there's nobody else really competing. That's all business strategy and whatnot. And you talk about whether you want developers want the games to be modded or not. That's similar to coaches, whether they want practice to be open or they want to be open with media or not. You know, there's always different philosophies and different ways to attack things. It's just kind of business models and whatnot of how you go about it and, you know, building your brand and all those type things. And some people do it well. Some people don't. But, Jerome, we got to move on. We're getting close. I think we're around the two two hour mark. So we're getting you right where you need to be. Jump into the listener questions. We're going to try to do these as rapid fire as Gerard Martinez as possible. Um, let's start with D from the Central Valley. One had a question about the defensive target list. He said, "Good afternoon. Let me start by saying that GM the target list is one of my favorite things from 24/7. Now, on the last defensive target list, there wasn't many green arrows up for the cornerback position. Is this something USC fans should be concerned about? Thank you." You know, it's interesting because we always talk about with Dante Williams, he seems to cultivate very good options. And last year was the first year where we kind of were like, well, where's that guy that they're going to get? You know, where's that 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 guy that's going to kind of come out of the woodwork uh, maybe midseason? You know, USC's got this really good team and they're kind of turning things around on the field. And it just never really happened. I mean, at the last minute, you got Warren Roberson in there. 
uh, who took a, a late unofficial visit to USC in January after he'd already committed to TCU. And you thought, OK, maybe something was going to come of that. I think ultimately, you know, his mom just wanted him close to home. He signs with Texas. And so, you know, this year as we transition, we look at some of these, you know, top end players and guys like Dakota Fields uh, who are, you know, looking like they're leaning a little more towards Oregon. I think USC made up some ground for him, particularly last summer when he came down and he camped. And I think, you know, that was an opportunity to get in front of the coaches, to work with the coaches, to, to just see how they coach and, and that familiarity. And then he took a couple more unofficial visits to Oregon. And it seems like, you know, he's back in play for Oregon and kind of leaning more towards Oregon. Xavier Brown is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, it, it, I think, there was some momentum there with USC earlier in the spring, but a, another guy that took a lot of unofficial visits and has a lot of people in his ear right now about going to the SEC and going playing somewhere else where they've developed this guy and that guy. He's coming in to officially visit USC in that June 2nd, 3rd weekend. Um, you know, that would be a big one for USC. You know, that they, they kind of need to grab one of those local players. Now, do I feel like they – lead for any of those top local guys not really I, I don't think there's one guy there that i would say okay you know you usc's the lead dog in, in all of this maybe the one exception there is marcellus williams and so that's kind of the big three for usc locally is marcellus williams uh, out of st john bosco 511 180 pounds the brother of max williams who's already on the football team uh, xavier brown at modern day and uh and then dakota fields and i think out of that group probably have the best shot at Marcellus Williams. Now, you know, Greg Biggins feels like USC has kind of been the, the team to beat for him. Uh, Blair Angulo uh, actually had said that to me as well uh, in, in passing. And I was kind of surprised at that because my vibe in talking to Marcellus is um, he's, you know, he's, he's not sold on USC. And, and he kind of said that he was kind of candid when, when I, when I spoke to him earlier in the year, uh, about what he wanted to see from USC and, and what he wanted to see from USC was player development and them to be just better on defense. It's like, I, I just, honestly, I just want to see them play better because if they're playing better, that means they're developing their guys and they're getting their guys ready for the NFL and a good defense statistically is going to have more draft picks than a bad defense statistically. And certainly he has a little bit of inside information there with his brother on the team and he kind of knows the ebb and flow of everything. And so you know, if Max is not playing as much this year, you've got this influx of talent. We talked about it uh, at the defensive back position, and, and we really didn't even get much to the safeties. We we're kind of talking about corners and nickelbacks and some of those guys that are sort of tweeners. But there's a ton of guys there that could end up playing over him. How does that impact Marcellus Williams in, in sort of his opinion of USC? So, yeah, with local guys, I mean, you know, I don't feel like they're trending well for Dakota Fields. And I think that they're sort of like wait and see with Xavier Brown. They got to have a good official visit with him. And it's tough because it's going to be one of his first. And then he's going to go off and he's going to go to, you know, several other schools. And uh, nationally, you know, there's going to be schools in his ear. And that just be one of those things where, um, you know, he decides to, to, to go there because uh, Alabama and, and Ohio State and those type of schools. Can't remember off the top of my head who he's actually officially visiting. Um, but I know that, you know, he's been down there for a bunch of unofficial visits. Um, and I think Alabama and Ohio State are schools that kind of jump out uh, of the schools that when I talked to him, I got the vibe like, OK, they made a big impression on him and he's 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 going to look at them seriously. So, yeah, locally, you want to get one out of those three. 
that's that's the thing. And and you know, are you concerned? I mean, yeah, a little bit. You know, you you want to be able. You've got three good players there. You know, and you you got to get at least one out of three. And then it becomes okay. Who's the guy that you get nationally? You know, who's the guy that you could potentially pluck? Uh, we talked about Selman Bridges a little bit, a guy that, you know, out of the group of of defensive backs and cornerbacks specifically nationally that USC is recruiting. He seemed to be the most consistent with USC, talking about USC. Um, he has yet to schedule his official visit. It sounds like he's going to take it during the summer. Originally, we were hearing it was going to be June 16th, but now he's going to – I think he's going to visit Arkansas June 16th. So that's changed. Braylon Conley, we talked about that. He's coming in this weekend, six foot, 170 pounds out of Humble, Texas. Um, a good guy on film, you know, and they're trending up. He's a guy that I think USC is definitely trending up for. Um, not a big-time player in terms of stars or his ranking. I think he's like – 50 or something uh, in the 24 seven sports rankings. But when you turn on the film, I think he's a very good looking football player. And so maybe potentially you go with somebody like that, you know, a little lower down the line, um, not necessarily a household name, uh, but you know, we're still kind of waiting to see if one of those guys as a cornerback is going to visit, you know, is it going to be Selman bridges? Does somebody like maybe a Kobe black, uh, six foot, 190 pound cornerback. He's ranked uh, the number two cornerback in the nation out of Waco, Texas. A guy that's talked about, he wants to visit USC. You know, does he take that visit? We're kind of going to see, but I, I think it all begins and ends sort of with the three locally. And are you able to maneuver there? I mean, if you're able to get Zayvon Brown and then you're able to get Marcellus Williams, Hey man, it's a wrap. Like, you know, you're good. Uh, if you just want those two guys and then you can kind of say, okay, if we can get somebody else and you know, you might need it because, the defensive back group is getting older. You know, we talked about that. It's, it's been a young group. Now they're kind of getting shifting into that junior senior year eligibility wise. Um, you know, they're going to need a little more numbers. And so uh, they, 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 they could probably take three guys. Uh, it looks like they definitely want to take uh, a safety or two. Um, it's kind of hard to read right now with the safety board because they've had some guys that they've missed out on. And um, I think they're kind of searching for some 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 good options right now at safety. Uh, real quick, Xavier and Brown, just my overall vibe. I've talked to him a, a couple times every time I've been out. Uh, I seem to be in a modern day game and talk to him. It's just that you know he wasn't that interested in USC at least last year. You know when you know asked him, hey, are you going up to the game tomorrow? And some of your teammates already said they were. He's like, meh, I'm going to watch film. Um, and now maybe that's just his personality, but compare that to, you know, uh, like DeAndre Carter. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get up there, you know, in completely different vibe kind of there. So I think they got to make a big impression on that official visit there. The other official visits you mentioned are to Oregon on July 1st. Um, and in June, he'll get Ohio State on June 16th, Alabama on June 24th. Those are the four he has planned right now. Uh, but moving on, Gerard, we got a question from Travis from Naptown. He said USC currently has 84 players, 11 of which are seniors. How many recruits are they expecting to sign for 2024? What positions should or shouldn't they go heavy on knowing they're going to the Big Ten next year? So how many recruits? And then do you see some changes as far as because the Big Ten is coming. Yeah, with how many recruits, that's always a shell game. <laughs> because yeah. we don't know with the guys that have transferred in, you know, a lot of these guys, they want to be one and done. And then you get guys that are not one and done. And so, you know, USC actually uh, in the spring, you know, talking to some sources, you know, they actually thought in this backside, the second window of the portal, they would have more attrition than they did. 
And so they were expecting to have, you know, two or three other guys maybe hit the portal and that would open up, you know, maybe going after some more guys being a little more aggressive with some other guys. But they really just didn't have the room. And uh, and you, you also have to consider the war chest. And when you go after guys like Bear Alexander and, um, you know, Dorian Singer and, and some of these top players, uh, there is a bit of a I don't want to say a salary cap, but, you know, there, there are only so many resources to go around as well. So both of those things, they kind of butted up against here uh, late in the spring. And so, you know, we always kind of look at, yeah, you know, how many guys you got graduating seniors and how many guys are juniors that could jump to the NFL. And, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even like five, six years ago, you'd say, OK, you could make a reasonable number. OK, USC, I mean, they're really I'm going to sign smaller classes here to be like 18. Oh, they're no, this is a big class and whatever. I mean, it's it's been a big class like the last couple of years because they needed to turn over the talent of, on the roster. But now it's like, okay, now you've got a little more talent, you've got more depth, and it's just a matter of are there guys that are going to start leaving because of playing time now? You know, you're gonna are you gonna lose guys attrition wise more mm-hmm. because of playing time. So yeah, uh, uh, I don't have a number for you. I, I really <laughs> I really don't know um, what it ends up being uh, next year. Uh, I think you know again it, it really comes down to the attrition of transfers. And any guys could leave at any time. There are guys that left that they didn't think were going to leave, like C.J. Williams. So I mean, you know, it, it happens that way too. Uh, so you, you, it's it's a weird thing. You know, the portal is. We're still trying to figure it out. The coaches are still trying to figure it out. You know, how do you, um, you know, manage your personnel, not knowing what the pool of talent potentially could be coming mm-hmm. up you know it, it's a it's a yep. little like free agency a little bit but still free agency you know guys contracts it's just a matter of okay do they re-up does somebody franchise somebody you know there's always those things but the, there's a lot less uh variables there as opposed to well we just really don't know who's going to be unhappy and jump <laughs> in the portal and and whether we've evaluated them whether we have a relationship with them and then the guys that we have on our team we know people are talking to and if they're not playing enough, then you have to sort of project and go, well, he could leave and he could leave and he could leave. And then you don't know, though, if they actually do leave. So, yeah, it, it, it's 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 pretty wild. Um, what was the second part of the question? Um, the What position should or shouldn't they go heavy on knowing they're going to be going to the Big Ten next year? You see any uh, kind of changes there as far as who they're recruiting? Yeah, I mean, body types they're recruiting. They are getting bigger. Uh, we've seen that just offensively. They're getting bigger. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily because they're going to the Big Ten. Um, I think, you know, the 2024 class, offensive line-wise, they have the potential to get uh, more physical. I think with the running back position, they've gotten more physical. But I think that's just what they wanted to do. I think Kyle McDonald, co- coming from Utah, he doesn't want a bunch of running backs that are under 200 pounds. I mean, it's clear that – he likes little big, a little bigger guys that have a little physicality that can break some tackles. And so I think that's just sort of the nature of him philosophically, what he wants to recruit. Uh, but on the offensive line, yeah, they're, they're getting bigger. They got bigger in 2023. Uh, when you get guys like Amos Telelele and Alani Noah, uh, Elijah Page, and, and I think they're going to continue that trend uh, with uh, some of the players that they're going to be able to get into the 2024 class. Uh, now, in terms of the, the the areas where I think they got to focus on more than than the obvious sort of, hey, we got to get more interior defensive linemen. Yes. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, more talent there. You just keep continue, continue, continue um, the defensive backfield, which we kind of talked about. That's one place where we are slowly shifting into having 
a, a more balanced split of upperclassmen and lower classmen. So, you know, or underclassmen, excuse me. Um, so, you know, you know, Max Williams, you know, now, now, and forgive me because there's, there's the eligibility that they have with COVID and then there's the eligibility that they have on the official roster. So sometimes you guys out here, I may say, you know, a guy's a junior and on the official roster for USC, he's a senior, but they don't take into account, I think, the, the COVID year that they have. It's just how many years they've been at the school or whatever. That's their class or basically their academic uh, year. Um, so like Max Williams, Caleb Bullock, Latrell McCutcheon, uh, Bryson Shaw, Jalen Smith, they're all juniors. Um, now, a few of those guys, I think, are, are actually listed as seniors uh, officially on the roster. But I think they all have junior eligibility. Still, upperclassman Christian Roland Wallace, he's going to be gone after next year. So he's a one and done no matter what. Uh, Jacoby Covington. He's he's going to be a guy that's going to be an upperclassman. Um, so you've got a shift now where I think defensive back is going to have to be uh, a position that you're going to have to go after some more numbers. So that's when we talked about, you know, bringing in not just two cornerbacks, but maybe three cornerbacks. Now, it's a little blurry line. You know, it's like with last year when they were recruiting that guy, that that X man, that fill in the blank boundary corner slash nickel safety. War, whether it was Warren Roberson or, or Braxton Myers or, or Tyler Scott or J.C. Hart or whoever the heck they, they were going after, um, that's, you know, is he a safety, is he a cornerback, whatever. You know, he, he's he's a defensive back. And so, yeah, I think that they, they've got to have a little more numbers here uh, in the near future here. And I think the 2024 class, you know, if they can get it going, obviously we just talked about cornerback. It's not looking great locally. It doesn't feel like, oh, man, there's this momentum and they're going to get all these guys. They're going to stack it. But it remains to be seen, you know, they've got official visits coming up and things can turn on an official visit. And certainly with the defensive side of the ball, you know, we talked about last year proof, proof of concept and having some of these out of state guys coming during the summer instead of later in the season where maybe you could sell, Hey, look at, this is what we've actually done. Uh, you're, you're, you're kind of recruiting on faith a little bit. That's still kind of the case with the defense, obviously not having the greatest year last year, but I do think just the overall uh, big, the, the, the transformation in culture and the, uh, the, 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 the 11 wins and just the fact that there's, there's, there's very much more optimism now that this is not going to be this long-term rebuild that, you know, Hey, the, we we're already on that. You know, we're already ready to go upwards. The trajectory is there. Uh, the momentum is there. Yeah, we, we've got to get both sides of the ball playing well and, and what have you. But it's going to happen and there's more to buy into. So I think from that standpoint, you could take advantage of that. And potentially, even for some guys that maybe you're behind with and you're trying to work, you can close and you can do more with than you could last year. You know, if last year you're bringing them in and you're behind on a guy. It's like, well. Yeah, you're going to be probably going to stay behind on them, even though it's a great visit. Love L.A., you know, have no idea what the football team is going to really look like come the fall. Now you do. Now you have a little bit of an idea. And so I think that could potentially um, turn a corner with some guys that right now we're going. Eh, yeah, you know, Zayden Brown eh, he's never really kind of felt like USC was like, you know, uh, uh, had I should like again, I, I felt like there was a point in spring where I felt like USC did have momentum. Um, he'd been up there for the unofficial visits. Uh, I think he had a couple of them yet. He, he was there for the January unofficial visit where they had the Bosco kids and the modern day kids. And kind of right after that, you know, it seemed like, oh, okay. You know, they, they're definitely making moves for him. Um, but you know, isn't enough now that he's now gone around nationally and, and seen all these other schools and what have you. And, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh taken part in the circus, if you will. Um, you know, the, 
they're going to have to, you know, kind of build that momentum back and know that they're going to have to defend that momentum, even though they might not be uh, the ones that are the last, you know, to, to, to get the last say, if you will. My question, though, is do you feel like they have to change philosophically any positions that they go after? And by that, I mean, hey, if you, you know, as an Atlanta Falcons fan, when the Falcons had Michael Vick, the Carolina Panthers had to go draft Terrell Davis uh, or excuse me, uh, Thomas Davis as a linebacker because they needed someone that can move in space and chase after Michael Vick. You know, when Mike Leach comes into your conference, you got to stack up a couple of nickelbacks because you're going to be facing four and five wide. Is there anything philosophically USC has to change in their recruiting as far as body types or as far as just position in general where, hey, you got to get, you know, instead of having a, a true nickelback and having a Max Williams as your nickel, you know, you got to have a, a guy that can be there that is more of a linebacker than, a, uh, you know, as a, a five seven, five, nine, um, nickel back that can move in space. Do you see anything philosophically that USC has to adapt to, or is it just, you know, the conferences are getting so big now that you got to have a little bit of everything. And I think even in the PAC 12, you know, because you've had Stanford and you've had Washington state, both in the same conference with Mike Lee, when you have those two teams, like you, you've got to run the gamut of, you know, body types and whatnot. Now you may focus more on what you think fits better for you, but you still got to have that heavy package to go against Stanford or else you're going to struggle with one team every single year, year in and year out. We've kind of seen that with USC in the past and some coaches don't want to have, you know, that, that uh, a little bit of everything on their roster. Do you see anything philosophically USC needs to change that will, you know, when they go into the big 10, do you see the big 10 as having so many just big, you know, tight end centric offenses or whatever it may be that they have to make some adjustments defensively or offensively as they have to make adjustments to be able to handle the defensive fronts of Penn State and Ohio State. Anything there that you see different? I think, you know, the reason why the, some of those schools, some of those schools, because, you know, we don't want to paint with a too broad of a brush that the Big Ten does have its uh, diversity offensively as well. You know, you have Indiana's and you have Purdue's, et cetera. I do think, though, some of those schools are running the offenses that they're running is because of the weather. And mm -hmm. you do get that November chill that comes in and, and rainy weather and snowy weather and not just during the games, but during practice. And certainly that can kind of change how you want to play, uh, and particularly offensively. And I think that, you know, if there's been a, a change and there's been a shift in terms of personnel and what they're going after, yeah, it's the – the physicality of the team getting bigger and making sure that you, you can run the football. And, and, you know, Lincoln Riley has done a good job at that ever since he was at Oklahoma, he had balance, but what I see is a definite move to, you know, getting running backs that are big, that can move the pile a bit, that can break some tackles um, and, and having a dependable offense through your offensive line, uh, so you can move the football on the ground um, in case you get into a situation where you're at Northwestern and, you know, we saw with Ohio State last year and you've got, you know, a Heisman Trophy <laughs> candidate back there at quarterback and, you know, Ohio State just couldn't do anything offensively through the air because it was just it was horrible, horrible conditions. And that that can happen, you know, and so I, I think that's something that has been taken into account and it does kind of change philosophically, OK, you know, we might be seeing a little bit more bad weather uh, than we normally do. 
Um, and and I, and I think, like you said, though, you know, you do have to be pretty uh, well-rounded uh, to be a good football team. I mean, I, I think at the top that that's always going to be the case. And uh, I, I do think, you know, and I'm old school and I get called out for it about, you know, running the football and being able to stop the run. And that's still, you know, a majority of these championship teams have done that and they've won through that. Uh, but, you know, overall, I think you do have to be able to have a lot of balance and you have to be uh, you have to have different pieces against different teams. That's that's why I bring up things like, you know, could, could you have Eric Gentry there as sort of like a, a kind of a weird wrinkle? Um, you know, and, and the thing I struggle with is like if you do that, then are you taking him off the field uh, more? You know, maybe you need to put him at will and you do that with somebody else. You want to have him on the field as much as possible because he's just a really good football player. He's got great IQ and he's just really hard to figure out because he's so tall and yet at the same time so physical and at the same time uh, so quick. Uh, you just don't see that combination with many players. But I also don't think you want a 6'6", 205-pound middle linebacker. I just don't think that necessarily works at the same time. So, yeah, there's a lot of those questions that uh, fall at the feet of the coordinators. Um, but I think with Lincoln Riley, I mean, you, the physicality of the team just all around is definitely – uh, being raised quite a bit, you know, coming from the, the the Clay Helton era, which interestingly, when he was hired full time, announced that he wanted to become Stanford, which, you know, I thought was kind of the, the weakest thing. It was kind of uh, a little bit of a kowtow to the administration and like, yeah, we're going to want to be just like Stanford and Trojan fans who've been around long enough are going Stanford. Like, I don't give a eh, about Jim Harbaugh and whatever come lately. Uh, type of Stanford teams. I mean, what is Stanford one? Are you kidding me? You're trying to be like Stanford? And, you know, what Clay Elton was trying to project was we're going to be a physical football team. And then what what did they end up being with Graham Harrell as offensive coordinator? It was like the exact yeah. opposite of that. So um, they're getting back to a more normal, balanced type of offense, uh, but certainly with the physicality, uh, taking more linemen, you know, than, than I think uh, – USC has in the past, you know, I always felt like with Pete Carroll, they were a little light with linemen and, and even interior linemen. And, you know, Pete felt like that was dead weight on, on, on the, on the roster if those guys didn't work out. But in my view, it's like, if the guys are good the scout team players and you've got guys there for spring ball and you're not putting your starters out there and they're not taking hits every practice, then there's definitely some value in that. And I, I think that with Josh Henson being offensive coordinator having a little bit of a place at the table in terms of decision-making within the offense. I think that obviously helps and he's getting his guys and, you know, he's pounding the table for some, for some depth there. And I think that's a good thing for USC. We know that USC on the peripheral with the skill players, they're going to have those guys. It really is about what they do up front and, and how much emphasis they put on that development with linemen. And, and that's going to be the key for them to be winning at, at the highest levels, not, Okay, we're, we're we're getting in the college football playoff. That's great. We never been there. Hurrah! Trojan fans want to win the championship. They want to win it all. And so, in order to do that, in order to get that late in the season, um, you got to have depth, and you got to have depth up front, particularly. So, I think that's something that you've seen slowly but surely um, some, some some transformation there. And I would say that uh, in college football, in particular, you definitely want to make the opponent adapt to you more so than you having to adapt to the opponent. But sometimes you have to do that. Um, and that's just because I say that more so in college football than the NFL is because you only have the 20 hours a week. So, you know, if you're putting in a game plan, suddenly you have to, well, we want to do air, use air entry this way. 
if you're not doing that from the beginning of the season, like how, how much are you going to be able to do that in one week and get it installed and be able to do different things versus, Hey, we can run two different plays with him or whatever it may be in that regard. I, I think so. Uh, more often than not, you want to make teams adjust to you rather than having to be uh, adjusting to other teams. All right, Gerard straight rapid fire. That means one or two sentences, one or two sentences max here. We'll go through a couple of these questions that were in the thread that people asked. Why is it you extra large ones? Now, why is it SC going after more Florida recruits? Seems like the majority of their attention is in Texas. Because the majority of their connections are in Texas. Exactly. That's what it all comes down to. In the future, he also asked, what is the staff's recruiting breakdown, such as percentage of transfers each year compared to high school recruits? Is it 40 percent portal, 60 percent high school recruiting? Or how do you see that kind of playing out? Do you see it being something uh, I add to this? Do you see it something that just kind of evolves differently every year based on what they have? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been obviously a little more heavy on transfers because they're trying to turn over the roster and the hope is that they have the talent that they don't ha- they don't need that turnover immediately from the transfer portal. But and I put an asterisk on this. The fact is recruiting out of the portal is a lot more convenient and a lot easier. You're talking about the difference between a three year recruitment and possibly missing out on a guy and basically recruiting for two weeks. So that is in and of itself uh, something that I think is very tempting for the coaching staff to lean on. And we just have to see. Uh, how that plays out going forward. And and I do want to just add from the last question. I I apologize because I kind of just blew it off when I said I have no idea. Nope, nope. Number wise. <laughs> I, no, we, we, we should say, I mean, we should put, I would say it would be probably around 21 to 23 is a number that you could possibly look at. You've got 11 seniors. Um, but again, with the attrition, I mean, you're looking at, I don't know how many uh, juniors you have. Technically, you have 29 juniors on the team. And so there's going to be some attrition there from those guys. So you could almost you tend to almost double that. So, I mean, I, I think it could be around 20 to 21. But is it going to be, you know, half transfers like it is uh, th- this year and even more last year? Probably not. I don't think that's what USC's projecting and looking for. Rapid fire drug. One or two sentences. Here we go. How do you feel about the recent uses of AI by people online for fit to fan fiction up dream hip hop collaborations? What are your thoughts on the Pandora's box of potential issues and solutions? It opens for music in general. Yeah. Do that in one or two sentences. Let's go, Gerard. We were talking about chat GTP <laughs> before the podcast uh, and talking about how we might just, you know, ask it recruiting questions to see uh, if it could make up like a recruiting uh, commit list for like 2024. Um, I have no idea, to be honest with you, that AI <laughs> is something that is, uh, it's exciting, but then it is scary too, right? Obviously, you know, when it does things that uh, have, uh, were not anticipated, uh, certainly we have to keep uh, wraps on that. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know about how it's going to affect the <laughs> music industry and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm more uh, worried about, you know, somebody trying to get it to uh, basically become our AI overlord and we end up in the matrix. True. Eagles fan, outside of USC, who would you start a dynasty with in NCAA 2024? Outside of USC? Yep. I don't know. Create a team. Probably not anybody <laughs> else. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, tr- tr- truthfully, like I don't I didn't do as much dynasty as I used to. I, I kind of like to jump around in teams. I, I like to just free, like the free game sort of thing, just to play with different players. You know what I really like to do? apologize for stretching this on, but 
I actually went in with creative team and I created an army all American team and a, and an under armor all American team. And I, and I would play them against each other. So I would go in and put all those recruits in and I, and I would see, and it was almost like a you were such though. a recruiting nut. nerd. Uh, but, but, but you, you get, it was interesting. Cause you know, one guy that freaking balled out in that game, all like I played it. I don't know how many times, 40 times or something. Giovanni uh, Bernard, who I didn't know from a hole in the ground, right? He went, I think he was out of St. Thomas Aquinas. He went to UNC and ended up, I think, playing for the Bengals and ended up going yep. to the NFL and just not a guy that I was really familiar with, but he was on the roster. I was like, all right, let's let's put his – I watched his film. I was like, all right, let's let's put in, you know, how, what, what his speed will be and everything like that. And he used to be – and it was interesting because guys like that would pop up. And they'd end up being good in college. I was like, damn, there's something to this. There's a little, I mean, that kind of goes with the chat AI question of like putting things in as a simulation and just kind of watching them go and seeing how, you know, the numbers crunch and how, what the, what the result of that is. I would always pick uh, just a, a tier, one of the worst five teams in the country in a good recruiting area. So FIU, South Florida, I got both of those, took them to many national titles. How good would Groots be in today's college football? That would be Matt Grudegood. He was undersized 20 years ago, but now with the spread program game, I think he would be a perfect will. Do you think he'd fit better in today's game? Groots was the first Metalothian. <laughs> Groots, Groots would, Groots would uh, you know, uh, I mean, I want to say he would ball out. But, you know, he had Pete Carroll as a defensive coordinator, and that helped. Uh, Pete obviously knew his football. Um, Groots was a great football player. You know, he, he wasn't a guy that you wanted to put out there on an Island necessarily, uh, an RPO would kind of use the field against him, but man, you can't, you can't bet against Groots, man. I mean, the dude, the, people bet against him at modern day and they met against him when they played up against Long Beach Paul and like, Oh, this guy, you know, they're going to run right over him. And the dude was just a form tackle machine. So I would say he would still do good. He'd still be a great player. Um, obviously player development goes a long ways in how you use your players. But um, I mean, this is a guy that just form tackled the hell out of Adrian Peterson in the orange bowl. You can't go wrong with that kid. <laughs> Do you feel like there's a player on USC's team right now that people want to discount or want to overlook, but you just like, you can't bet against that guy. I mean, Max Williams kind of sort of has a little bit of groots in him because he's a guy that I know there's people in the building that kind of doubted him uh, when he came to USC. I mean, two ACLs, that he's coming off of and, and a guy that, you know, five, eight and he's 185 pounds. And he wasn't necessarily like the fastest recruit coming out of high school before he hurt himself, but has been a guy that still found a way into the starting lineup and has made some plays for USC. I mean, I still remember Max Williams on the goal line against Stanford and that tackle where he causes that fumble. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a game changer for them. And so, um, yeah, you know, a lot of people keep keep doubting Max Williams, and I understand, you know, if he's out there against the 6'5", 265-pound freaking tight end that's going to the NFL in the end zone on a jump ball, yeah, you mean you know, that's not really where you want Max Williams, right? So, but that's the that's 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 a defensive coordinator issue, man. <laughs> you know, that's a personnel issue. But you know, Max Williams in in when he's set up for success, he he shows out. You know, he surprises people. Yeah, the best coaches find a way to put their players in a in an area to be successful. You see that in every sport, um, not just in football. Last question comes uh, from Chris from the DMV. He said, hey, Shagan, this is a message from a fellow Helium boy. Thank you for filling in. I have a three-part question. Do you oh, think God. Gerard and I should do a 24-hour stream? The answer is, uh. 
The second question. Yeah, what do you, is, wait, wait, wait. What do you think of? Uh, you've been on here. What we like almost three hours, right? We're coming up on three hours. Yep. What's what's the what's the feel? I mean, is this like uh, it'd be good? Are you like, ah, yeah, man, we could rock this out another couple hours, two hours, five hours. What, what do you think? I mean, I you could do a 24-hour stream. I have no doubt that you could do that as long as you have someone feeding you some tea with honey or whatever <laughs> it may be to to keep the the throat uh, clear and ready to go. I do not doubt you, Gerard. And if you have me come on to add in some extra questions or just uh, me jumping in to give my thoughts, it's going to make it even longer, which is what this podcast we're hoping to keep under two hours has become. Um, Do I think it's good for you to do it? I think there are people that definitely would watch. How much are they going to watch? Are they going to watch the entire thing on replay? No. So is it better to do a 24-hour stream versus to do eight three-hour ones or whatever? I think that people are much more inclined to watch the three hour or join in live for all of a three hour um, rather than a 24 hour. So that's why I say, uh, because I don't think it's good for your guys health to do that. Now, do you think that you guys could pull it off? That was the second question. I think you could. Cause like I said, Gerard is a machine when it comes to talking about recruiting, whether it be about current things or about past, and you're just getting rolling on some past stories. I'm sure the hours will tick by. And he asked three, would I commit to participating in the 24 hour stream? <laughs> if that indeed were to come take place? Yes, I would commit to participating. I could knock out an hour or two. We could, we could have a basketball hour or baseball hour or whatever. Um, and maybe we could, you know, schedule it out so that people will tune in at certain segments or whatever. But do I think it's good for your guys' health? Not necessarily, but that's Chris from the DMV with that message. He also had a PS. He said, Def Leppard sucks. I don't know. I think that's a good way to wrap up this show, Gerard. Any other comments that you have after hearing that Def Leppard sucks? No, I think we have to end it now. (laughs) Uh, Chris also texted me a couple of minutes ago and asked, how did it go? How did the podcast go? And I told him it was still going, to which he said, (laughs) OMG. I told him we started a little bit late. He said, still, come on. <laughs> um, but that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Composite Two-Star Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I've been your host, Shotgun Spratling, filling in for you guys, saying thank you to Gerard for allowing me on the show with the temporary Cilantro Boys Pass that I'll have to try to get renewed. Same as a DMV here in New Jersey. I always got to get our stuff renewed. But thank you also to all of you for taking the time to listen. Please like, share, subscribe. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform of your preference. Hope you guys can join us for the next episode of either the NATO Download Podcast, the Peristyle Podcast, Tunnel Vision, or the Composite Two-Star Podcast presented by USCFootball.com. There's so many great shows. That's why you got to make sure that you subscribe. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we appreciate it.